get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Palmieri shoots it. Bennington the save. Swatted away by Krug. Dobson deflected in front. They score. So just as we talk about it, 14 seconds in, Islanders throw it to the front of the net and deflect it in. We're tied 1-1. It's stolen away by O'Reilly. Oh, and he tried to spring. It's in. Islanders shoot. They score. And now it's 2-1-1. Barcel far wing. Tried to tuck it in. Save made. They score. Bennington makes the first save. The Islanders push it back in off a stick. It's coming right in past Letty. Islanders wrap it around. They shoot, and they've scored. 4-1 New York, 9.42 to go here in the second period. This one's going to come to an end. Islanders beat the Blues by a score of 5-2, and the Blues have lost six straight. It's a nightmare. This is the nightmare scenario. It was supposed to get better last night, and for about 10 minutes, that's exactly what it looked like. Alongside Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic, I'm Brandon Kylie. We are at the E&B Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center, uh, where the Blues are having a morning skate today. We will have JR reporting on that here in just a little while, coming up in about 30 minutes or so. But first, got to start with what we watched last night. JR, let's start with the good, because for about 10 minutes... I texted the guys last night and I said, all right, they're back. The blues are fine. Everything looks good. And maybe this is on me. I'll, I'll take full blame because basically right as I sent that text, everything went to crap once again. What were you thinking when you saw the initial response that the Blues had to Doug Armstrong's comments earlier this week? Yeah, you look at that uh, first period, and it was terrific. Tons of zone time. I think they had close to three minutes of offensive zone time, and it was all the lines, just the things that they were talking about a couple days ago, BK, is line after line, sustain it, put your next line in good position. That's what they did. You know, you didn't want to come out and have 50 hits. You weren't trying to overdo it, but five hits. I think it was 15 shots directed at the net. They did everything right, just like Braden Shen said earlier in the day when we we asked him, what do you expect tonight? He said full 100% effort. It was there. You can't say at that point, BK, that the Blues are back because it's just one period, but you had to feel pretty good about things at that point. And then everything went back to what it's it's the turnovers. It's, hey, you got really good opportunities, but they're not going in the back of the net. It's Ryan O'Reilly making what is probably the right play, trying to make the stretch pass right as they kill the first penalty. And you've got, I think it was Mikula coming out right. of the box. 
and he's got a breakaway opportunity. And instead of it getting to Mikola, now it's turned over, it's coming back into their own zone, and boom, it's in the back of their net. I don't even know how to explain it at this point. You've lost six in a row. It's the longest losing streak in the regular season since the 2013-2014 regular season. You had these numbers last night. Going back to their 6-2 loss against Nashville, opponents have scored 22 of the last 29 goals. If you go back just to the Montreal game where they lost 7-4, opponents have scored 16 of the last 20 goals. It, it's a disaster. And it seems, and this is maybe the worst part, is that it's the same storylines over and over. The same show that we did two days ago, we could do that show today and it would all apply because it's the same issues that seem to be coming up night after night after night for this team. Yeah, the one thing that changed is the GM came down and spoke yeah. to the team. That's <laughs> the only change. And he's about 1,000 feet away from us here at uh, Centene. We're in the EMB Granite Studio and he was just down the hall in the uh, media room, Doug Armstrong being he. And he laid it out. He said, I want to see some effort. And you saw it for that 20-minute span in the first period. Uh, but a lot of the same mistakes. And listen, Craig Ruby said a couple days ago, he said, you got to create your own good luck. So you can look at a situation like that Ryan O'Reilly spring pass to Mikula to try to get him on the breakaway. You know, perhaps it gets through. Perhaps Mikula surprises everybody and dangles for the breakaway goal, and the Blues are back in business. But I think it's a situation where you go into that second period and you start to see some of those same mistakes. And even the unlucky bounces, like the O'Reilly thing, it's just going against this team right now because they're not playing the right way. Yeah, even Jordan Cairo had a breakaway opportunity and nothing came of that. Like, if for whatever reason, I, again, I, I can't really explain what's happening right now because, Jerry, even some of the underlying numbers, like I think it was Tom Timmerman who tweeted it out last night. If you look at the expected numbers from this losing streak, it's basically even. I think it's like the Blues should have been outscored by their opponents 21 to 20, which is basically they should be a 500 team in this stretch. Maybe if you get a little unlucky, you go like, three and four something like that two two and four but that's not what it's been it, it's been completely lopsided in the other direction and so some of this is and i'm not giving them an out because they got to play better and you got to create your own luck you got to get in front of the net all of these different things but some of it is that they've been unlucky and a lot of it is they've put their goalie in terrible situations because of some of these turnovers in their own end some of it is like last night colton pareko you had this in your story as well I don't even know what he was doing on that goal where he's literally in the crease and there's no way Jordan Bennington can come up with that save. So is some of this just a matter of eventually it will turn around and the puck luck will go their way? Yeah, I, I believe that's true. But some of it is also, I, I can't explain what these veterans are doing on some of these plays. But BK, this is why analytics are analytics. And I truly do appreciate them. I understand that they, they do make sense and they can tell you the story that maybe you just don't see with your with your eyes. But if you go back to last season, who's everybody's friend in St. Louis? Dom, right? Everybody's yeah, favorite guy when you come with the athletic. Uh, and he comes with the analytics saying that the Blues last year, they shouldn't be good. Here's what their underlying numbers are. You know, you can go back to the Stanley Cup year, 2019. Yep. He said they shouldn't be good. But what the Blues had last year was that team chemistry, that things were working on the ice. They were making the right plays. They were playing for each other. And it was quantity over quality, which goes against anything that the numbers would tell you you should be doing. So it, they play a different style than what you would expect. And, and so if the analytics said the Blues should be here, and I'm kind of putting my hand in the air here, the Blues played above it in those mm -hmm. situations. And now you have a situation where, yeah, the analytics say here, and they're playing below it record-wise, and it's because some of those plays aren't getting made. The O'Reilly thing, you can call bad break. How about Robert Thomas, and he took ownership for it afterwards. You know, the puck at center ice, yep. fumbling that. That's a huge mistake. It's back the other way, 
and it's in the back of your net. You touched on Colton Preco. You know, he has to be out on that guy trying to defend him as opposed to he takes the nudge, he goes into the net, and now Bennington can't even move in the crease because Colton Preco's right there. And, you know, there's four or five of them. And you look at that second period, they've been a bugaboo for the Blues. 18-6 to six now this season, they've been outscored in the second period. So here is what Doug Armstrong said earlier this week, and I think this is really the question that we're going to be talking about over the next three, four, five weeks. Here's Doug Armstrong talking with you guys in the media earlier this week. It's either it's one of two things. It's, this is a black or white. It's either underperforming or it's a poor roster. And that's on me again. So I'm hoping it's underperforming. Uh, and if it is, then we can work together and get out of it. If it's not underperforming, if this is just the ability that they have, uh, then we're going to get to that part I don't want to get to, was to seeing, you know, can we place certain players in different groups and try and gain assets to to go into a uh, re-whatever. You, you use the, the word after re. He's talking about a rebuild. Uh, that's that's retool, rebuild, whatever you want to reference it as. That That's what he's referencing there at the end. Uh, this is the question. Are they underperforming? Is this team's talent level level above what we're, ta- what we're watching right now on the ice over these last six games? Or is it just a bad group? And for whatever reason, it's not going to come together. JR, I, I know it's an impossible question to answer because we're nine games into the season. And I asked you earlier this week, is all of this a bit premature considering that at that point in time, we were just 10% of the way through. Where is your lean on that? Do you think that this team is underperforming? Or do you think it's just not the right collection for whatever reason? I think even if you don't like this team and you say it's a bad team, I would think that most people would agree with me when I say they're better than what they're playing right now. You have to be, right? And we're not just talking wins and losses. This team is a a group of players that's more than capable to play well, and they just haven't shown it. So is it a bad team? Yeah, it looks like it at this point. Is it a little bit of a funk? Yeah. Is it a combination of the two? Probably so. But then you have to start getting into the questions of, well, what do they have to show you in the next month? What if you go 12 and 12 in your next 24? Do you feel like you're a cup contender? Do you hang on to guys at the trade deadline that you could get assets for that Doug Armstrong just talked about? If Doug, who said the other day, trade is never my number one thing to do to try to get this team going. It's, hey, let's hit rock bottom with the current group and then kind of build them up. Well, you start getting into December and you're hitting rock bottom, it's going to be difficult to salvage what you have left in this season. So, you know, does this speed up him looking around and making a trade in the next week or two? It could. But is that trade and bringing in one or two players going to help you in all these areas that we're seeing that are deficient right now? I don't know. So it's going to have to be this team starting to perform better. So it's not underperforming as we're seeing right now. And I really do think they need some help. Last year was so much easier because you could look at the roster and you could say, all right, we all know what they're missing. They're, they're missing a top pairing defenseman. They, they need somebody that can play with Colton Pareko. And so you could look to the trade market and say, okay, who is your favorite of these potentially available defensemen? And that was the obvious move for the Blues. This year, you look at it and like, if I asked you right now, JR, what should the Blues trade for? I could listen to an argument for another top pairing defenseman. I could listen to the argument for a top six forward, frankly. I could listen to the argument for a fourth line player. I could listen to the argument of just a hockey trade to shake things up here because it's clearly not working with this group. And when you have all of those things that could be a need for the team, 
it goes back into what we said earlier this week where it's you're in a boat that is sinking on the water and there are holes everywhere and you're trying to plug them with your arms and your legs and eventually it becomes a cartoon character that suddenly has 13 arms and legs to try to plug all of these holes and there's just no way to plug them with the current way that they're playing. I'm with you. I, I, I just refuse to believe that the Blues are suddenly bad because they no longer have David Perron. I, I said all offseason. We talked about this a million different times. I think they made a mistake in letting David Perron walk. I would have brought him back without bringing Nick Letty back. If that was the one for one that you had to make, I think there were other moves you could have, but neither here nor there. I would have made that move if necessary. But even with where I stand, where I think that they made a mistake by letting Perron walk, I couldn't have seen this coming. I couldn't have seen them going into this kind of a funk scoring offensively. And I certainly didn't see them reverting back to the defense that they were a year ago at this time when they didn't have Nick Letty in the lineup. Yeah, you know, I want to go back. And a lot of people keep bringing up David Perron and could he help this team? Sure he could. As I mentioned in the article, he's not going to box out in the Blues defensive zone and prevent some of these goals. So there would still be a lot of goals being scored against the Blues right now. But I want to focus on one thing, BK. A lot of people make the Letty Perron example. Yep. And it's true, but I think more so than Letty versus Perron, it's the cap situation that the Blues were in that they had to choose one over the other because they didn't have a lot of space. And I realize a lot of teams are in that situation. Doug Armstrong, Ryan Miller, they've done a terrific job managing the cap, but there's some other contracts on the team, whether it be a Scandella, whether it be whomever. You take a pick, there's a couple contracts that make it difficult to bring back both. In a perfect world, maybe you bring back a David Prawn, a Nick Letty, you keep that veteran consistency up front. Maybe O'Reilly's got some stability on that line with him, and you got your help on the defensive end with Nick Letty. So listen, hey, not all contracts are going to work out perfectly. Doug Armstrong likes them when he signs them, obviously, but some of them don't work out, and that prevents you. So to me, you know, Nick Letty versus David Prine, yeah, it does boil down to that, but there's some extra fat money on the roster that prevents you from having both of those guys. And that's where I want to get to next. He brought up the idea of a re-whatever, rebuild, retool, restructure, whatever you want to call it. Is this team set up in a way where that's even possible? With the money that is on the books, the contracts that are on the books, can they do that as currently constructed? We'll get into that on the other side. Coming up in the 1 o'clock hour, we're going to be joined by David Kaplan to talk about a little bit of the Wilson Contreras stuff. We've got a lot of blues between now and then. Jeremy Rutherford joining us at the ENB Granite Studio in the Centene Community Ice Center. And Alex Ferrario will be making his football pick him coming up at 1130. So lots to get into coming up next. The Blues have some issues. We know that. If they wanted to go into this re-whatever-you-want-to-call-it, can they? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Well, he looks way more like a 2-9 player right now, and that's what he's making, so we'll leave it there. But no, I... I think that he he's just one of nine. Uh, there's there's other guys that aren't playing to that standard. I, I'm not concerned. Well, I shouldn't say we we need more from Jordan, but we also need more from a lot of guys. So he he's an easy target because because of the contract that he just signed. Uh, but if I'm going to base the next nine years off the, off of eight games, it's going to be a really big roller coaster for me, for him, and for the fans. 
That was Doug Armstrong earlier this week talking about Jordan Cairo's play so far this season. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. We'll have Ask Us Anything coming up at 1145. It's not just, I don't want to exclusively hone in on Jordan Cairo, but he's one of the many contracts that are on the books right now that have big money for multiple years that are coming up. I mean, you got uh, Shin, Saad, Thomas, Cairo, Falk, Krug, Pareko, Letty, Binner. All of those guys are at four-plus million dollars for four-plus years still remaining on the books. Alongside Jeremy Rutherford and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We're broadcasting live at the E&B Granite Studio out of the Centene Community Ice Center as the Blues are having morning skate starting here in about 10 minutes or so. JR, I wanted to start with this, the conversation that we're having, because we'll get into kind of the, the re-whatever here in a moment. If Doug Armstrong could just vanish into thin air, any contract that is currently on the books, what do you think he would go with? Because I think part part of their issue right now is they've got so many of those big money long-term deals, and that just limits future flexibility for them. But what do you think he would go with as that deal? So I'm going to give you one, but I don't think it's going to be the one that you know people might think of. And there's probably a few, right, that people are thinking of. Uh, but the one I'm going to give you is Marco Scandell, and I'll explain why. It's $3.275 million, and there's this year and next year on it. If you took that contract away, it wouldn't free up all this money. It wouldn't, it wouldn't free you up you know, millions and millions of dollars and a lot of term that you would if you voided a Pareko or Shen or Krug or Falk contract. But I think it's something where you know, the player wasn't the player that they thought he was when they signed him. And even though it's $3.275 million, that's money that could have been spent a lot better the past couple of years, maybe could have kept you David Braun. I think if you look at some of these other ones, there's people driving around, they're saying, well, well no, no, it's got to be Pareko. It's got to be. That's the number one player that's getting mentioned on the text line, right? Yeah. Now. So let me address that. Here's the situation. Doug Armstrong, he doesn't just go into these things individually and say, okay, well, I'm going to sign. I'm going to sign this guy for eight years, and and then you know what? Okay, that guy's contract's up. I'm going to, you know, why don't we just give him six years? That's not the way it works. He has a philosophy that with an eighty-two point five million dollars salary cap, that's not going up. That the way to keep all these good, maybe not great players, is to give them the term six, seven, eight years. That's what he did with Krug and Falk when they came in, and get that AAV down to six five, six million dollars on some of these guys. You know, Colton Pareko, 6.5. And so the situation is he can fit a lot of good players under the cap for $82.5 million. So now you have a Colton Pareko who has eight years left on his deal. If you were to have Doug Armstrong sitting with you right now and you said, hey, listen, just between us, this isn't public, you know, would you take that contract back? If he said yes, I would be surprised because this is the way that he approached things. And you tell me, BK, what has Colton Pareko done differently this season or last season that is different than when Doug Armstrong signed him? We're not talking about a player in his early 20s who they projected to be better. This is a player in his late 20s whose contract's going to take him into his 30s, and the Blues knew what they were getting. So you shouldn't be shocked when you see sequences like we saw last night where he's twisted up in the net. That has happened before. And so I don't see a situation where Doug Armstrong would say, yeah, if, if we could take one off the books, I'd take the prequel. This is what he set out to do with a lot of these big contracts. So to me, it's Scandella. I, I think that the one thing that, that does concern me a bit with the Pareko deal is that 
maybe this was my perception versus what their perception was when that deal was signed. For me, I looked at it and I said, I, I understand that he's he's not a 23-year-old. It, it's not the same bet that they're making with a Kairou or a Thomas where they, they believe those guys will continue to develop into better players than they are currently. But Pareko was a bit of a late bloomer. And I, I personally thought, okay, this is a bet that by the middle of this deal, that'll be the prime of Colton Pareko's career. And he will improve from the player that he is right now when he signed that deal. And, and if anything, I... I think he's maybe regressed a bit, and some of that's probably the injury-related stuff that we've watched over the last couple of years, and maybe he wasn't 100% healthy, but even like what we've seen so far this year, he looks like, to me, maybe a number four defenseman on a good team. Maybe you could argue a number three defenseman on a good team, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, Jer, but I, I think they projected, and I remember Doug Armstrong saying he's going to be the alpha. He is the number one defenseman, maybe not like a... It's kind of like the ace versus the number one starter in Major League Baseball, right? Where Jack Flaherty, was he ever going to be an ace? Maybe not, but he was projected to be the number one starter for the Cardinals. Pareko, while not being a legit number one, was the number one defenseman, at least projection-wise, for the Blues. And I don't feel like he has or will take that next step. And if that's the case on a deal that, as you mentioned, is another eight years at six and a half million dollars, that that is a bit concerning to me. No, it is. The thing is, I think you have to look at it like this. He, he did want him to become that alpha defenseman. He knew that he wasn't a true number one, like there's only five or six yeah. in the league. But what he went after, Doug Armstrong, is a defense that had a Colton Pareko at 6'5", had a Justin Falk at 6'5", had a Tory Krug at 6'5", that would leave him some money. You know, he was hoping Scandella would be better. He's not. So now he has to sign a Nick Letty for four times four. And that's what he's trying to create. He's not trying to say, listen, I believe in Colton Pareko and he's going to get better and he's going to be worth this eight-year deal. He's trying to get as many good players in the mix as he can. And, and I just go back to you know, just like the Letty Perron situation, it's not always as simple as that, the sure. way, way we look at it. It's you know, not it, a binary decision. It's all of it in the aggregate. It, it's all of it. And if you look at this Colton Pareko situation, you can't have that conversation without saying, well, then they should have brought Petrangelo back. Because to me, this is big picture. Uh, and I realized there was contract dispute, money, you know, probably ego, both sides, the whole situation. Uh, but if... You saw what Colton Pareko was before you signed him, and you knew what he was before you let Alex Petrangelo go. And if you didn't want to put yourself in this situation, potentially signing him to an eight-year deal, then you sign Alex Petrangelo and you bring him back, and he is your true number one. I, I mean, we we talked about it at the time. I, I would have done it. <laughs> that would have been the route that I would have gone. And I, in that scenario, and listen, Justin Falk's been a pretty good player for this team. So maybe you don't, you probably don't have Justin Falk on the team if you thought at the time that you were going to be re-signing Alex Petrangelo long term. But I, I think there's a few of those now that you can look back to. And I know that his name gets brought brought up all the time. This guy's not going to solve all of the problems, but. The Blues for the last two years were looking for fourth-line players, and they had one internally that's from St. Louis, and they just let him walk for like a million dollars with Pat Maroon. I think they should have brought Pat Maroon back. I think they should have kept Alex Petrangelo. I think this offseason they should have uh, decided to bring back David Perron. And so I think internally, I've just disagreed with some of the guys that they've allowed to walk while re-signing some of the guys that they have, like Nick Letty. I, I don't know that I would have brought him back this year, and that would have, I, I understand, brought upon other issues that we'd be looking at this year as well. But it, it's just about the the way that they've gone about some of these deals. It has surprised me to a degree, and that gets us to the question of like, okay, if they do end up, if this is just the team, 
and they're just not going to be good this year. Is this team structured in a way, JR, where they can go into a rebuild, retool, restructure, given all of the long-term deals that we've mentioned they have on the books? So the answer, my answer to that is anything is possible. However, you look at this situation, and let's just go through some of the names here. Ryan O'Reilly is an unrestricted free agent in the summer. If you don't get him re-sign and you're not doing well at the deadline, perhaps you talk about moving him. Vladimir Tarasenko, same thing. But then you get into a couple different categories of players. You talk about a, a Braden Chin. You know, we talk about a long-term deal. Is he movable? Probably not. You know, that contract may not be good towards the middle to end. Uh, then you look at a Brandon Saad. Is he movable 4.5 with another three years after this season? Probably not. Uh, then you start talking about guys maybe you don't want to move. Like, you want them to be part of the solution. A Pavel Buchnevich, he's a good player. He's a potential 30-goal guy who's making 5.8, and he's got two more years after this year. You talk about the young guys. Here's another category. Jordan Kyrou, Robert Thomas, just signed both of them. Eight years, $65 million. You know, I, I think Doug Armstrong said it best the other day. I'm not going to judge these guys based on a week-to-week. That's going to be a roller coaster yeah. for eight or nine years if you're doing it that way. So you have to think big picture. They're going to be good players. You're probably not going to move them. And then you start getting into third and fourth liners, and they're just not going to yield anything even if you did want to want to move them. And you, you could have the same type of categories with these defensemen, Justin Falk, Tory Krug, or you know, Colton Pareko. And moving $6.5 million in season for multiple years is a hard thing to do in this league right now. In November. Like, this is something maybe in the offseason you do. You certainly, you know, maybe you could do something like that at the trade deadline for a team that really wants a guy. Uh, But typically you don't see teams in the market for guys with this much term in season. And, And so, you know, that's why I think that if you're trying to improve this team this year, you know, that's going to be tough. And if you're talking about a rebuild, okay, does that mean we're watching five more months of an underachieving team before Doug Armstrong's able to do anything? So, you know, I see, you know, the science behind what Doug has done, and he's been so successful for a long stretch of time that uh, it's, you can't argue with it. That's why I think when you've seen guys go over the years, whether it be a David Backus or a TJ Oshie or an Alex Petrangelo, a lot of these guys, yeah, there's been a lot of second guessing, but for the most part, it's been successful, and he's evolved that roster throughout the years and has you know a top-five points percentage in the league since I mean, he took over. We're six months removed from this team. I mean, we're, we're a Jordan Bennington weird injury away from potentially going to the Cup. Like, that was on the table as they were in the midst of that Colorado series, and that, that was six months ago. So as much as I second-guess some of those moves that you're talking about, I can also acknowledge, like, hey, Army's been right more often than not. He's, he's done a really good job of building this team, and now over the course of basically two weeks, it, it looks like a complete disaster. And so it, it's just hard because you're kind of caught between these two completely devolving ideas of it, it, is it just them getting unlucky for a two-week stretch and this is going to get better? Or is this kind of the beginning of what is going to be a dark time? And I don't I, I don't want to go down that path of how long is that dark time? Because if, if it's going to go into a rebuild – this doesn't look like the type of team that does the soft rebuild where it's like, okay, one year, maybe two years, and it's going to be fine right after that. Man, you got some contracts on the books that it's 30-plus-year-old players that by the time you are competitive potentially again, are they going to be the same dudes that they are right now? And, and let's say you could somehow 
move one of them. Is one of them going to make that big of a difference? Like you would probably have to move two or three to actually change and, and turn this into a true rebuild. And I'll end with this, BK. Is uh, so I, I just established why Army did what he did to try to get all these guys in the fold under two under eighty two point five million dollars. But you know, there's another way of going about it, and I'm sure he entertain that idea as well as maybe pay some of these guys more each year, but give them the shorter term three and four years, whether it be a Braden Shen or a Tory Krug or, or a Falk. And, and that way you don't have as many of those players on the team right now. So maybe it lessens your chance of, of winning, uh, but then you're out from those deals in two, three, four years and you can go a different direction or at the very least they're tradable. They're movable with a year, two years left on those deals. They're just not movable at this point. So if you find yourself like the Blues are right now, struggling beyond belief and they can't come climb out of it, Doug Armstrong wants to make some moves. I look at this capfriendly.com and look at these contracts and it's it's just going to be really difficult. He's Jeremy Rutherford. You can find his work over at The Athletic. We will get into Ask Us Anything coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. If you guys have any questions for myself, for Jeremy Rutherford, for Tanner Hendrickson, you can get those in right now on the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. But Coming up next, me, Tanner, Alex will have our football pick coming up for this week. I can't wait to do yet another week of losing in the football pick here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex is blessing us with his presence for the football pick'em this week, even on his day off. So we have nine games to select from. I have lost five times in this football pick'em. Tanner has lost twice. Alex has lost once. So those are the standings as we head into this week's football pick'em. I have done the randomly generated draft order. Tanner will select first. I will select second. Alex has the third pick. He will flip it around with the fourth pick as well. I am broadcasting live at the ENB Granite Studio out here at the Centene Community Ice Center. Tanner, would you like to get us started with the first pick in this week's football pick'em challenge? Let's go with what feels like easy money. And I'm going to be swimming with the Dolphins this week as they kick the Bears' butt in Chicago. Hopefully, David Kaplan, who will join us later on the show, is not listening because the Bears are going to get cream this weekend. They traded away some of their best defensive pieces. I got the Dolphins covering the minus four and a half point spread. I like that pick. I think I would have gone in the other direction, though. I actually like the Bears you, you in that one. Crazy, plus the my four friend. and a half. I am going to go with what I believe to be the best pick of the week and these are my famous last words i think tennessee is genuinely the best team in the country i understand that they are going to be on the road this week at georgia i love the eight and a half points though i I think they have a real shot to win this one outright i think their offense is fantastic i think georgia's gonna have a tough time keeping up with them i like tennessee to win outright and to certainly cover the eight and a half point spread go falls all right, so BK is going to BKO the Tennessee Volunteers. So that's always a good sign. All right, so back-to-back pick for you boys right now. Let's go. I'm going to start actually in college football. Um, as Black Widow told the Hulk and Avengers, the sun's getting real low, Nick Saban. So Alabama at LSU, 
I know it's a 13-and-a-half-point spread. LSU sucks. Alabama, I think, covers that easily. So I'll take Alabama minus 13-and-a-half. Um, and then my second pick, and T-Bone, I've told you numerous times that your team sucks, but I also think Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers suck worse. So I'm taking the Rams plus three at Tampa Bay. Tanner, do you like those picks? Uh, I do like the Alabama one. I can honestly tell you, watching the Rams, and you've told me they suck, I agree. I, I think they end up losing that game by, like, 7 or 14. I think the Bucks will cover. So that one I'm a little skeptical on. But, hey, I if the Rams cover, I'll be happy. Tanner, I don't know if you can see this on I, – actually, I can't show you this list. Um, I, I had both of the other sides in those as well. So I don't know if that uh, makes right, you feel better or me. worse. <laughs> but – I like the other side in both of those games, to be honest with you. All right, my next pick that I am going to go with, my second pick in this week's draft, I am going to take – I'm going to take the other side of the game that I should have selected last week. I like K-State at home, plus the two-and-a-half points against the Texas Longhorns. I I like the spread. I wish it was three, but I like K-State getting two-and-a-half at home against a Texas team that I think is, frankly, a little overrated. Well, this actually plays out perfect for me because I actually feel comfortable in my next two picks. I'm going to go with the Seahawks plus one and a half at the Arizona Cardinals. Kyler Murray, I look, the game came out a week ago. He's still been playing it. He's still on the grind. They're going to get creamed by Seattle, who's just the better team. So I like them plus one and a half. And then going over to the college football slate. I can't believe, look, Mizzou made me eat words last weekend. I, I think I like them this week against Kentucky. I still saw a projection where, what's his name, Will Levis is like one of the top quarterbacks in the upcoming draft. He stinks. When there's pressure in his face, he's terrible. Mizzou's going to get to him. They're going to cause some havoc. It's going to be close, but I like Mizzou plus one and a half against Kentucky. Guys, coming into the season, one of my favorite teams was the Los Angeles Chargers. There's no way they were going to be bad, right? What exactly have they done this year to be a three-point favorite on the road against the Atlanta Falcons? I'm not here to tell you Atlanta is good. They're not. But they can definitely muck this game up enough to where they could, I mean, at a minimum, keep it close. And I think they have a real shot to win this game outright and to be 5-4. and They are, by the way, right now the number one team in the NFC South. I'm going to take the Falcons plus the three points at home against the team that I loved coming into the season, but I just can't defend them any longer, the L.A. Chargers. Well, you guys left me crap and crap for the last two picks, and BK took one of them, so I guess I'll take the other one. Um, God, I hate both of these because uh, DJ is ooey out in Clemson, but so is Notre Dame. Um, Good God, man. Follow your heart, man. Follow your heart. Uh, My heart led me one way, and it ended up, well, DJ cost me. I get it, but, like, Notre Dame sucks. So, like, I don't know how I can sit here and justify taking them plus three and a half, even saying that they're playing at home. Um, So, yeah, I'm going to go Clemson minus three and a half, and I I fully anticipate me. Oh, son of a nutcracker. He said he likes it. I fully anticipate me going 0-3 right now, although BK's liked every one of these picks, so maybe I'm 3-0. You guys have a lot of underdogs this week. A lot of underdogs yeah, a, on the uh, on the on the T Bone yeah, and Alex picks. When's Vegas ever been right? 
Tanner has the Dolphins minus the four and a half. He also likes the Seahawks plus one and a half and Mizzou plus one and a half. A lot of close lines this week. I have Tennessee eight and a half points as an underdog. I've got Kansas State as a two and a half point underdog. I've got all underdogs this week. My God. And the Falcons plus three as well. Alex has Bama as a big favorite, minus 13 and a half. He's got the Rams plus the three points on the road at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and he's got Clemson minus the three and a half as well. Those are our picks for the week. If you would like to follow them or fade them, please do so over on the FanDuel Sportsbook using my promo code 101. Alex, enjoy your day off, man. We'll talk with you again on Monday. Sounds good. I got a poopy diaper to take care of, boys. Hey, do the, do the blues just stink? You can answer this and get out of here. They smell like that diaper? Um, yeah, no, this diaper stinks worse than the blue, surprisingly. But, uh, yeah, I I, uh, I don't think they stink, but I think their defense stinks right now. So they got some issues that they got to figure out because there's an awful lot of puck watching last night in front of their own net. All right. Well, we'll talk about that on Monday. Hopefully nothing uh, changes between now and then. Talk to you then, buddy. Well, good thing no games uh, up until then. The Blues <laughs> will be undefeated before Monday. Yeah, go See go boys. Blues. Let's go Blues. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're talking Cardinals. Caitlin McGrath is a staff writer for The Athletic. She covers the Blue Jays up in Toronto. I want to get her thoughts on whether or not the Blues and, or, excuse me, the Cardinals and the Blue Jays could be a match for a catching trade. We'll do that coming up in 15 minutes. But next, ask us anything. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you've got a question for me, JR, or Tanner, we'll get to that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for Ask Us Anything. If you've got a question for me, for JR, for Tanner Hendrickson, you can send those in right now, especially if you've got any blues questions. Get those in now for JR. For Tanner. Let's start with this one from the 636. JR, how big of a loss do you think it was for the Blues to lose Jim Montgomery from the bench? Does it seem like he was a bigger factor in this team's success than we were initially led to believe? You know, that question is so timely because of the struggles that the Blues are going through right now and also the success of the Boston Bruins. What are they, 10-1 and one after last night's win? And, oh, by the way, the Blues play the number one Boston Bruins on Monday. I can tell you this. I talked to Jim Montgomery a couple days ago. It's a piece coming up at The Athletic. And here's one little anecdote that uh, I came across while writing this story. He had a lot of text threads going on with small groups of players. So he had the the Shins and at one time Schwartz and Bozak. He had the Russians and he was a good communicator and he loved getting in these text threads with all these players and making cracks and keeping them loose. Pella Buchnevich told me yesterday that even when they'd lose a game, he'd get in there and kind of stir it up a little bit. Tell uh, Vladimir Tarasenko that he could score goals if he played with Thomas and Buchnevich. So what I'm getting at is just the looseness. And I think, you know, this is no disrespect to anybody on the coaching staff, McTavish coming in, anything like that. But Montgomery has a way of working with players, particularly young players. You look up at the Bruins and those young guys are thriving right now. So I think they do miss him. I think that's something that gets overlooked sometimes. Like I just speaking from the baseball perspective of things, right? When you watch a game, we see just a small, minute part of what the manager's or the coach's job is. The in-game stuff, that's what we see, and so that's what we judge them based on. The stuff that happens behind the closed doors, honestly, in most of these scenarios, is probably the more important stuff. It is. The managing of personalities, the managing of egos, and this is... 
I mean, these guys are alphas, almost all of them. That's how they get to where they are today. And so that's such a big thing, and we don't see it, so we don't see the importance of it, but you really can't put, you can't quantify what it was that Jim Montgomery did. You can't. Robert Thomas told me that uh, Jim Montgomery would come to him and say, okay, we're going to have a three-game segment. In this three-game segment, I want you to have six shots on goal. I want you to possess the puck this much time in the offensive zone. He'd make little games for some of the players. So, you know, you move on. Every player I talked to said, hey, this is hockey. Your coaching staff sure. changed. But that's one guy, as you can tell with what he's done with Boston so far, who really means a lot to his players. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line from the 3-1-4. JR, what are your thoughts on sending neighbors down for another year of the AHL? Or I guess the first year of the AHL, but not being in the NHL. This year? Yeah, I certainly wouldn't do a year. I think he's to the point where he's going to learn as he goes along. And especially, let's see what happens with this blue season. Like, if they get to a point where they're out of contention, you want him playing NHL games. So would it be beneficial for him to go down and score some goals, feel good about himself? Yeah, but if you look last night, look, they have to disallow a goal because he's one of the guys playing physical, going to the net, standing in that crease, trying to score a goal. You know, are there some shortcomings? Sure. But uh, I think right now this is team-wide. You can't pin what's happening on anybody like a Jake Neighbors right now. So we'll see where the season goes. But I think right now I'd keep him in the NHL. From the 2-6-0, JR, do you think that Ryan O'Reilly is pressing right now? You know, it's a good question. Um, but, you know, we define pressing. I think what's happened with Ryan O'Reilly is this. Jordan Cairo was not a good line mate for him. I, I didn't see it at the start of the season. I didn't think it was going to work. I think that uh, you, you look at the situation, it starts to snowball. All of a sudden, you played five or six games. You have no points. And, yeah, you do start pressing a little bit. And then Ryan O'Reilly said it himself a couple days ago when we asked him about playing with Ochari, Achari. He said, yeah, we're going to have somebody on that line who I think can help me defensively. So, you know, I keep getting asked the question, is the contract bothering I don't think it's the contract. I just think it's the way that the season has started out with the team because he wears that but also he wants to produce and he hasn't been able to do that do you th how much do you think this comes from the 314 this team missed brandon sod a, a little bit he wasn't doing much before he left though uh he was up on that top line and sure he's a stable player he can provide you a consistent performance each night but he didn't have any points and he only had a few shots on goal then he gets the upper body injury and he's missed a lot by the way i just snuck out into uh, practice and sod is skating yesterday Craig Ruby did say that uh, there was a good chance he was going to have be a full participant today in practice. That's oh, that's the case, and he's up on that line with O'Reilly. So it uh, looks like you could get Sod back from under him with Barbashev too. Yeah, I didn't get a look at the whole line there, but uh, it looked like it was Sod, O'Reilly, Barbie, and then they've got Booch, Thomas, Tarasenko. This is coming from Luke Korak. Uh, neighbors, Shin, and Kairu on the third line is what you have right now. Okay, yeah. So so Sod could help. I don't think. You know, you're looking at uh, three wins, three losses instead of six losses with Saad, but he definitely could have helped. He's Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider for The Athletic, joining us in studio today until 2 o'clock. Coming up at about 15 minutes or so, we've talked a lot about the offense, the forwards, what's gone wrong there. What about the defense? Is there anything that can be done to fix what they're doing right now? Because you look over the, over the last four games, it's been five-plus goals in each of them. We'll get into that coming up at 12.15. But next, we've talked a lot about how the Cardinals solve their catching questions. Could it be a trade with the Toronto Blue Jays? We'll talk to their beat writer for The Athletic coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Along 
with Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. We're broadcast- broadcasting out of the E&B Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center. And right now we are going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by Caitlin McGrath. She covers the Toronto Blue Jays for The Athletic. You can follow her on Twitter. She is at Caitlin C. McGrath. Caitlin, we've been talking a lot here in St. Louis, as you can imagine, about who's going to replace Yadier Molina for the foreseeable future behind the plate. And you cover a team that has certainly come up a time or two because the Blue Jays have three legitimate big league possibilities at catcher. Thank you so much for joining us today. How do you see the Blue Jays filtering through their catching options going into this upcoming season? Yeah, it's uh, well, thanks for having me on today, guys. Um, you know, it's funny because I swear this has been maybe the third offseason in a row where I've been like, okay, the Blue Jays have some options here with their catchers. They could probably trade one, and then an offseason goes by, and then a whole season goes by, and they don't trade one of their catchers. So this has been sort of like an ongoing narrative, uh, basically almost since, Alejandro Kirk kind of established himself a little bit in 2020, but certainly in the last um, couple of seasons this year, breaking out, being an all-star. And so now it really does look like they've got three legitimate MLB-worthy catchers. And then if you have a prospect like Gabriel Moreno, it's like you don't want him just sitting there either kind of toiling away in AAA when he's clearly ready for the majors or like sitting on your bench because you've got these two other guys that you want in the lineup because, you know, they know the pitchers better or whatnot. So, I think that the Blue Jays, they don't have to trade a catcher in the sense that, like, if they're not getting a good value, they're not going to just trade someone for the sake of trading someone. They can have three catchers. Um, Moreno can play uh, a little bit uh, around the diamond. Um, You know, he can play third base. He can play the outfield. So he's a bit versatile. Uh, You also have the DH options. You can have more than two catchers, and they've done that this year. But I think kind of to optimize their roster and to fill in some holes elsewhere I think it's in their best to move one of those catchers so that you can get maybe um, starting pitching help or relief pitching help or outfield help or whatever they deem they need I think it would be wise for them to try and do it um, because I think the kind of now is the time when you look at the three catchers that they have, do you think one is more likely than the others to be dealt? Like if, if you had to project going into the offseason, I know this is incredibly difficult to do, but who do you think would be the most likely of those three to become available? It's interesting. So I think there's like different routes and it sort of depends on like what that club they're trading for maybe needs. And I think like that's sort of the benefit to the Blue Jays' um, point point of view here is that they actually have like three different guys almost at three different uh, like parts of their career that offer three different things. So I think if I was to say most likely, probably Alejandro Kirk, just because you're dealing a guy that's probably at the high point of his value, coming off an All Star season, um, really impressing um, everybody with his ability to uh, you know make contact with the ball, but also really took great strides defensively. You also have a, a catcher who's still very young. He's still in his, like, you know, entry-level deal, um, you know, those that one from one to three years of team control. So he's not even ARB eligible yet. So you're trading him um, when he still has a lot of value for other teams, but he's also proven himself at the major league level. So it's kind of most maybe almost the best of both worlds where you're getting that sort of, like, young 
player with a lot of control, but also a player that you know can you know catch um, in major league games and can make an impact. You also have Moreno, who is a top prospect, so maybe you're getting the best value for that because he is a top prospect, and we know that can get a lot back from major league teams. Um, we also know how rarely they're sort of traded, so maybe that's someone that you package and get a huge amount back. Um, so that's another factor too. And then you have Danny Jansen, who is actually, I think about two seasons away from free agency. So he's almost that more veteran guy. So if you're, if a team is looking for, um, a catcher who can, uh, play behind the plate, but can also DH, um, that also has that experience that also has a lot of pop in his bat as he's shown. Um, maybe that's someone that you trade as well. Maybe you're not getting as much back for him, but you're also keeping the two young guys for your own team and the upside that they have, especially thinking that Danny Jansen's two years away from free agency. So most likely I would just say Kirk just because of the things that I explained, but I think that the Blue Jays do have a lot of roots and options they can go with their catching situation. Caitlin McGrath is our guest here on 101 ESPN. She covers the Toronto Blue Jays for the athletic. We're talking a little bit about their catching situation as they may have some options for the Cardinals going into the offseason. Caitlin, if they were to trade, let's go down the path of Alejandro Kirk because I think he makes a ton of sense for the Cardinals because they're not only looking for a catcher, but they're also looking to upgrade the lineup just in any way they can. And he's obviously a very good hitter. What do you think the Blue Jays would be looking for in return? Because the Cardinals have a lot of trade chips, but... Is there anything in particular, like a, a left-handed bat, an outfielder? What, what do you think they would be searching for in such a deal? Yeah, I think left-handed bat would be um, the play for Kirk. I mean, obviously every team's looking for pitching, starting pitching. I don't know that the Cardinals have a ton um, to give away in that department. Um, so I think when you look at the outfield, there's probably a couple names that stick out. Um, you have Dylan Carson, uh, Carlson, sorry. Um, you have Lars Newtbar probably are the two names because they're youngish. So it's kind of um, sending back someone that's sort of equal to Alejandro Kirk in terms of uh, years of control and value, but they do different things. The thing with the Blue Jays is they don't have an obvious sort of like roster hole they have to fill this year outside of like they need another starting pitcher. They need some more relievers like every team basically does. But in terms of like their roster, they actually don't really have any major free agents from their position player group that are leaving. Um, but you can they probably need to tweak some things in the sense of do they think that George Springer can play center field every day? Um, maybe this is time to have the discussion that you're moving him to right. So then maybe they're looking for a young outfielder that can play center field. Um, they might have to move another player too. Like we might be talking about them, maybe trading Alejandro Kirk, but also trading one of their corner outfielders like Teoscar Hernandez and, or Lourdes Gurriel Jr. in another move to make room for that outfielder they bring in. Um, but I think left-handed bat, someone that makes contact and or gets on base a lot, they just need some variety because their lineup is really, really good. Um, it's the best in the American League this year. But they all are kind of similar in the sense that you have a lot of aggressive right-handed hitting bats. And I think if you added a left-handed outfielder, um, that just gives the lineup a different dynamic. And it, gives, uh, it makes the opposing pitcher have to think a little bit more in terms of game planning for the Blue Jays. Caitlin, we appreciate you hopping on. I, I feel like I have a better grasp a little bit on what, what the Toronto situation looks like. I, based on what you've been saying, I, I think they might 
be the exact type of a team that the Cardinals call about uh, adding an Alejandro Kirk type of a player. Appreciate you doing this today, and hopefully we'll talk with you soon if anything does come together between these two teams. Yeah, call me up if a trade goes down. Will do. That's Caitlin McGrath. You can find her work over at The Athletic, where she covers the Toronto Blue Jays. You can follow her on Twitter, at Caitlin C. McGrath. Uh, Tanner, after hearing what she had to say, if the Cardinals could do something centered around either Nolan Gorman or Lars Newtbar as a potential, like, this is the starting point for a trade, as she said that they maybe need a little bit of depth pitching-wise, I immediately in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, maybe Dakota Hudson could, could be a throw-in in such a deal as well, or maybe you have, like, a Jake Woodford or a Matthew Liberator, one of those guys that's kind of on the outside looking in for the pitching staff. If that's what it's going to take to get an Alejandro Kirk, that feels exactly like what the Cardinals should be doing because Kirk is basically young version of Wilson Contreras, who's a little better defensively. And oh, by the way, he's going to cost you less than a million dollars this year. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think Kirk is a guy that should have interest from the Cardinals. I actually like him better than Sean Murphy because I think he's just a better catcher in terms of looking at the offense. He's someone to me that screams better than what I said uh, or earlier this week, where I think Sean Murphy's kind of more that James McCann guy. Uh, I, I would be willing to center a package around some of your pitching depth and maybe Lars Newpar if that's where it would be willing to go. I don't want to throw Nolan Gorman into that conversation just because I still am high on Nolan Gorman. I think Gorman's a guy that can be, as we talked about, maybe projects to be your Jack Peterson or projects to be 70% of Kyle Schwarber. So I don't know if I want to go put Nolan Gorman in a trade package. I think if they start saying, hey, we want Gorman in this deal, then I think I'm going to say, you know what, I'll back out, and I think I'll go back to that free agent market and look for someone for like a $5 million deal. What about a Newt and a Hudson or a Newt and a Liberator for Alejandro Kirk? Is that something you would sign up for going into the offseason? I would, I, I because I still think like, there's probably still some more upside to Newt, but I still think he projects as a fourth outfielder. So if Toronto wants him and then they want Dakota Hudson, who I do think will be better with the pitch clock, I'm not saying he's going to be an ace like Alex tells us he's going to be, but I think, I think he, he can will be, be a better. solid number four or five starter. Yeah, and I, I think if it takes Hudson, Newt, I would be willing to do it. If they want Libertor, hell, you can throw him in. I don't, you can put him in on the Hudson package too. I don't care. I mean, I don't see a role for him on this team in the future, so you can put him in there as well. But, yeah, I think that's a package that if Toronto's willing to take that, absolutely, I would pull off that kind of a trade. Where does Alejandro Kirk rank on your like way too early wish list of catchers? Because I think for me, he might be number one. He's 23 years old. He's coming off of a season in which he hit 285 and had a, a little bit of pop as well. Not a ton, but a little bit of pop. And he gets on base 37% of the time. And based on the underlying numbers, and I know we bring these up sometimes and people laugh at it, but it just tells you whether or not he's... It, whether or not what he did last year should or could be sustainable, there's nothing to suggest that what he did a year ago was like a fluke. He he looks like the real deal. Where does he rank on your wish list of catchers going into the offseason? I would say on my wish list, I would probably still have him at second just because I think I would I would have Contreras at number one still. How come? I, I just think Contreras is a better offensive player, and I, I think he brings a little bit more to this team. Um Kirk, I do like him, and I understand what you're saying with the numbers. I, For whatever reason, I think just I much rather, and again, it's not like we were talking about prospect capital in terms of sending away Hudson and, and Newpar, but my fear is that they won't take Newpar. They would want Gorman. I, I think that I would much rather just spend the $20 million it's going to take to get Wilson Contreras and get him into the system and have him be one of those impact bats 
be like that guy that hits fifth for you. Now, again, they still need to make another move if they acquire Kirk or Contreras. But I, I think I like Contreras better because I think he's a better offensive player than Kirk. And I think Kirk, I'm not I'm not sure he's going to continue to progress to another level. I think what you saw this year was pretty close to what he's going to be as a career norm in terms of his That's batting. pretty damn good. <laughs> it's pretty good, but what Contreras did this year was pretty damn good too. I, I think I would say Contreras won. I would probably go Kirk two. I would honestly have like Maldonado Barnhart ahead of Murphy too when I'm looking at the looking at the rest of the class as well. The reason why I would have Kirk number 1 is because it's just prospects. It, you you're you're you have a sustainable catcher who is going to be cheap and cost controlled. Well, cost controlled at least for the next 5 years. If you add Alejandro Kirk to your team, He's going to make basically nothing next year, and then he'll get a little more expensive in arbitration. But, I mean, when I say expensive, I'm talking like $5 million probably in year one, maybe 10 in year two, and then probably jumps up significantly by year three of ARB uh, if he continues playing at this same level. But that's four years down the road where you've got to worry about him potentially getting expensive. And by that point, maybe you've either got a long-term deal done with him or uh, you potentially trade him elsewhere if you've got somebody internally who can have that, that job for you. If you have that at catcher, I think it opens things up for you to also spend either in the outfield or at shortstop, and maybe both, because now instead of spending that $20 million for Wilson Contreras, now you're spending basically nothing at catcher. You've got still 40 to $50 million to spend. This might actually allow you to go out there and get one of those shortstops, and maybe you end up making another deal with one of your starters and you you go get a significant starting pitcher. Like maybe you get Carlos Rodon, Alejandro Kirk, and one of the starters that are available on the market and you trade a guy like Jordan Montgomery. I'm not saying that's what they would do, but you would probably have the money to be able to do all of those things if you get Kirk instead of a Wilson Contreras. It's about that $20 million gap for me. So I, I think I would be willing to trade, even if it does take Gorman. I, I think I'd probably be willing to do that. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, speaking of the Cardinals starting pitching, what am I missing with people saying that they absolutely need to go get one of these back end of the rotation type of starters? I just disagree with that notion. We'll get to that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, is there a fix for the Blues defensive core? We'll talk to JR about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You know, I think we're a little bit fragile right now. Um, you know, the goal was obviously deflating, but you know, then we give up a power play goal and, you know, we're, we're scrambling to regroup. We're, we're, we're turning a lot of pucks over. I think that's uh, been our Achilles heel for, for a while now here. That is something that's been a staple of our group is good puck management and uh, you know setting the guy up, setting the next line up, and uh, just a little bit inconsistent. That was Robert Bortuzzo last night after the game, and this Blues defense, and whether it's the turnovers or just their inability to get the puck out of their own zone, it's been a problem for them so far this year. With Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. We're broadcasting live from the Brown and... We're broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studio, rather, (laughs) at the Centene Community Ice Center. JR, so far this year, the Blues are allowing an average of 3.9 goals per game. That is the fifth highest in the NHL, and this is a group of teams that you don't want to be around. The Ducks, the Blue Jackets, the Coyotes, and the Canucks are the teams that are listed right around you. 
we've talked a lot about the forwards and the lack of chemistry and all those different things, and they do play a factor in this conversation, but the Blues have spent money on this defensive core. They've got $6.5 million per year contributed towards Krug and Falk and Pareko. they got another $4 million that they spent this offseason in Nick Letty. Is there a fix for this defense, or are they just going to have to kind of figure this thing out on the fly? I don't think there's a fix in terms of they're going to work it work out work on it in practice today like we just went out there and watched them and all of a sudden they're going to come out against Boston and and be better I think what has to happen is a couple things they have to get the puck out of the zone like we saw against the Edmonton I hate to keep going back to that Edmonton Oilers game but that was a clinic that was one of the best defensive performances I've seen in a while you're talking about Connor McDavid having a couple shots no points I think Connor McDavid in two games against the Blues this year Craig Bruby mentioned it he's got one assist and he was sitting on the bench when it happened like he made the pass and and he's off so they can play good defensive hockey they can you know I don't want to say I don't care what people say but they can but here's the thing when you see a first period like you did last night they're getting the puck out of the zone and then all of a sudden the offense is getting the zone possession time and it's not coming back in the d zone and and so that's the way this defense needs to be successful get the puck out feed the forwards the forwards go to work that isn't happening obviously because of the number you just mentioned the blues uh, aren't scoring a lot of goals here lately so the puck is back in their zone a lot you look at jordan bennington one of the best puck movers in the league at his position shoots it up to robert thomas last night the puck gets fumbled at the red line then it's back in your zone and now all of a sudden you got guys scrambling trying to keep the puck out of the net so that's the first thing is what this defense is set up for success wise is moving the puck and if they're not doing that and the forwards aren't in conjunction then it's not going to work it's not going to look good but what I want to focus on here BK is there's just so much scatterbrain type stuff happening around the crease that I don't care. It's weird. If, I, I don't care if you're not Chris Pronger. I don't care if you're not, you know, Chara and you're going to rough a guy up. If you're in the National Hockey League, you ought to be able to see a puck, be aware of a guy standing next to you. You know, I was just talking to an NHL guy out here at, at practice for a couple minutes, and he said, you know, it, there's too many puck watchers. You can't watch the puck at the top of the zone when there's a guy standing two feet to your right and one feet behind you right next to Jordan Bennington. Like we've seen so many tapping goals. And, and so that's my issue right now. If, if this defense is going to have to be successful, these guys have to be aware. Nobody's going to accuse these guys of being Paul Bunyan, uh, but they've got to be, they've got to be aware. It, it remind when I'm watching the games right now, JR, it, it's the same play that's killing them every time. It's the backdoor play. And, and we saw that a couple of games ago where it was like the entire L.A. Kings game was they just continue doing the same thing. They put it backdoor, boom, it's right there, and there's nobody that's getting on that guy in the backdoor. Like, I, I don't understand it because you, you know what's coming. And last night it was the same thing. It happened again to them, and it's been a consistent theme all year. I, I Again, I'm not asking them to be something they're not. I think too often people have asked – why can't Colton Pareko play like Chris Pronger? He's never going to. He never has been. It's just not in his DNA. And that's fine. You, you don't have to be Chris Pronger to be a solid defenseman in this league. But when you're sitting there on the backside of a play, and listen, I'm no hockey expert. I would never pretend to be. But I've watched Jamie Rivers go through the telestrator and show you what you should and shouldn't be doing long enough to, I think I have at least an idea of what he should be doing on some of these plays. What he's doing is just standing there. And worse, last night, not only is he standing there, you mentioned this in your story over overnight from the game last night, he's actually impeding the goalie from making a save yeah, on the backdoor play. Yeah, goalie interference on your own team. Like, I, 
what are you what are you doing? And it's not just Perico. I bring him up as just an example, but I've seen it from Krug. We've seen it from Falk. Letty's been uh, been guilty of this a couple of times. That seems like. If there is one easy, correctable fix, that is where I feel like they can start. Yeah, it is. Uh, but when I say there's not a correctable fix, you know, an immediate one, it's just that, you know, Pareko and, you know, I like Falk, so he's, he's done a lot of good. But uh, Krug and Letty, they're not going to turn into box-out players overnight. But here's my thing, and you just touched on it. We'll go back to it. Hey, we don't expect you to be Chris Pronger. The league isn't that way anymore, and you're not that type of player. But you're also getting twisted up don't know there's a guy next to you, and oh, by the way, now you're standing in Jordan Bennington's way. Like, there has to be some sort of in-between. So we don't expect you to chop the guy over, but at the same time, can you play the position? And again, same thing you said. I'm not a defenseman, couldn't go out there for 10 minutes. Of the, but when when we watch it, that's what has to happen with this defense. This is the National Hockey League. You're not going to transition the puck out of the zone, you know, 95% of the time cleanly and, and, and get it into the offensive zone and roll four lines. It's going to be hemmed in your zone. There are going to be teams that are throwing it around on a string and putting it on you. There are going to be backdoor tap-ins, but you, you should see them once a month, not three times yeah. a game. That's the situation here. So I just don't think that this defense – uh, has played up to par so far in the season, and it's a big part of why they are where they are. See, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. Uh, this is why I don't think this defense is correctable, because this is, how much of an issue was this last year? This, felt, this feels like it's been a problem for a year plus now for the St. Louis Blues, being soft in front of the net where they're allowing guys to just get there with ease. And I think it was, I think this is just a continuous problem for the St. Louis Blues. I I know that Letty, when he came in last year, it kind of fixed the issue a little bit, but that was to JR's point more of the puck moving. I don't think this defense is fixable. I, I think this is what the defense is for the St. Louis Blues, and for them to beat teams this year, I think it's going to have to be shootout games where they're winning 4-3, 5-4. Like, I, I just don't see the fix for the Blues with the personnel that they have because it's been a problem for not just these la- during the six-game losing streak. It was a major problem the year prior, and that's why we kept bringing up Jacob Trickard's name, and they end up getting Nick Letty. So I don't think the defense is fixable. I think this defense is in a really bad spot, and I think it's going to be a major problem for the Blues. And I know we talked about the offense. I think the offense is going to be fixed. I agree with you. We've talked about that for a while now. I'm not sure the defense is, and I think the defense may be what sinks or swims this from being a team that they keep together or a team that they decide to retool on the fly. Yeah, no, you could be right. I do like to add, though, that uh, if you're getting help from the forwards, it, it just makes everything, everybody's job better and easier, and that's the way it's supposed to look. But but here's the point that I want to stress is that, you know, I don't think anybody, the coaches are out there trying to fix the defense in terms of making them a defense that's super hard to play against. Yep. You know, when you sign the contracts and you know the players who you're bringing in, this is just who they are, which I know Tanner said that, that, that that's who they are. But that doesn't mean they can't be successful with the way they play. Because they were last year. They can We've be. seen this specific group of players, this assembled group of players. They've done it. And not only done it, they did it against the Avs. Like this defensive core, six months ago, basically shut down their top line for like four games. So why, why is this happening? And not just on a one-off, consistently so far this year, it's it's strange. And Jr. Somebody on the text line brought up uh, that Jamie Rivers has been talking about the changes to the defensive system, and uh, Craig Berube also talked to them about those changes as well. They said, "Are those changes a mistake, or is the team just not executing?" Based on my understanding, and again, I'm not a scheme expert in hockey, so I, maybe I'm misreading this, but my understanding is that their scheme that they've gone to should actually help 
with what we're, what they're talking about. They're trying to take away those close range shots, those high danger shot opportunities. And instead, it, for some reason, it's gone the opposite way where they're getting more of them. But my understanding is that this version of the scheme where they're, they're trying to pack the zone and allow more of the, the long range shots, it should actually be doing the opposite of what's currently taking place. Yeah, playing a zone. So a couple things here is uh, the Blues did this a couple years ago. I think it was under uh, Mike Yo, uh, the season that he got fired. So 2018-19, they were doing some change too. And it ta- it does take a little while to get used to things. You're used to you know one style, and the coaches mix up the scheme a little bit. Now you're doing something differently. But you have eight games in training camp, but for whatever reason, it bleeds into the regular season, and sometimes you see things like this when there are changes being made. But to your point, when you're packing in that zone, kind of like a penalty kill a little bit, uh, you still need pressure on the shots. And if you looked back at some of these goals that have been happening, I know you've seen some of these yep. back backdoor tap-ins, there are bodies in position to prevent those passes, but either players aren't getting sticks down, getting sticks in the way, breaking these up, or what I said a minute ago, just not aware that the guy's standing behind him. So you can play whatever scheme you want. You can pack it in. You can you know, limit those high-danger chances, but you're actually creating these high-danger chances with these tap-ins by not playing tight as a group. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN, but next we're getting back to the Cardinals because I, I seem to be missing something with their rotation. I understand that. I, I agree with everybody else that they need they could use a front end of the rotation starter. Nathan Avaldi, Jamison Tyon, Zach Eflin, that doesn't feel like something that the Cardinals need, but it feels like it's what everybody nationally is connecting them to. We'll explain it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So I must be missing something. That's the only realistic scenario here because it feels like nationally we're in the same place that we were a year ago. And look, I ended up being wrong last year. The Cardinals definitely needed more pitching depth than what we were led on to believe. But all offseason, people were saying the Cardinals need more depth. The Cardinals need more depth. The Cardinals need more depth. I didn't think they did. And this year, I feel the same way. And I do think this year is a bit different than what it was last year. Because you go into the offseason, you've got Jordan Montgomery. You've got Miles Michaelis. You've got Adam Wainwright. Steven Matz coming off of the injury. Jack Flaherty coming off of the injury. You also have... Jake Woodford and Dakota Hudson right now that could be at least stopgap options for you if necessary. You've got a couple of guys that hopefully can help you coming up from the minor leagues as well. Don't look now, but in the Arizona Fall League, Connor Thomas, Tanner's guy, has been dominating so far down there. So you've got internal options. But Tanner, as I was reading earlier today over on The Athletic, Jim Bowden put together his list of the top 25 free agents for the 2023 offseason. And in that list, here are the players that he had as maybe being of interest for the Cardinals. Carlos Rodon, Wilson Contreras, that makes sense, catcher, Nathan Avaldi, Chris Bassett, Jamison Tyon, Zach Eflin, Martin Perez, Tyler Anderson. Basically, the top catcher on the market, which is the only catcher that was in the top 25, and every pitcher that's available not named Jacob deGrom or Justin Verlander. Explain it to me. Am I I missing something here? Because I can see the explanation for Carlos Rodon. 
But Avaldi, Bassett, Tyon, Eflin, Perez, Anderson, those are the guys that the Cardinals currently have under contract. Like, it's different names, but they're basically the same as going into next season with Montgomery or Mats or Michaelis or Wayno or Flaherty. I just don't understand why the Cardinals would sign one of those guys. Yeah, I... I'm with you. I I don't think it makes sense to bring in one of those guys because, to me, you have those guys already that you just mentioned. Montgomery, Michaelis, Flaherty, if he's healthy. I think Flaherty's better than some of these names on this list when he's healthy. But I I think that you have these guys. I don't think you need to go on the market and bring them in. Now, the Rodon one I do understand because if you're going to add a high-end pitcher and Rodon is a high-end quality ace, that makes sense. So that one I can get behind. I can get behind that. Bringing in guys that are kind of these number two, number threes in your rotation – you have those guys. There's no need for you to go out and sign one of them. I, I just don't understand it. And I, I get that, look, you always want to have pitching depth, and I know Mo said that in his press conference. I think Mo's just hinting at we're going to go find guys on minor league deals that will come in, kind of like Aaron Brooks, and hopefully they're better than what Aaron Brooks was for the team last year. And Michael Gersh said it on, I think it was the best podcast in baseball last year when he did an interview on there, that you always need pitching depth, but it's hard to kind of recruit that in. Well, if I'm a Nathan Navaldi, Chris Bassett, Jameson Talion, Talion, Jesus, excuse Tyon. me. Yeah, thank you. Zach Eflin, <laughs> Martin Perez, or Tyler Anderson. I'm looking at the Cardinals going, I can see the five guys that are starting. I don't really want to go to that spot. And honestly, I wouldn't want to move somebody out of the current rotation that the Cardinals have to make room for one of those guys. So I think you stick with the rotation you have unless a high-end caliber is kind of presents itself, maybe Rodon and get him on a really good deal, or Verlander, or there's a guy out there like Shane Bieber you can acquire. Then you bring him in, and then you can kind of move the pieces around. But otherwise, I think you go into the season, and then whatever happens, if the pitching starts to break, there's always guys that you can go find. You can always go find your Jay Happ, John Lester, or your Jose Quintana from somebody. So I, I don't think they need to be in this market with these starting pitchers. I think they need to focus the resources elsewhere, in my opinion. So let's play a quick game. I'm going to call it sign or sell because Jim Bowden is not the only one that has projections on potential deals going into the offseason. John Heyman of the New York Post also put out a ranking of the top 30 free agents today, and he's got, based on everything that he's heard from people around the league, what he believes will be the experts' predictions on uh, contracts negotiations. So let's go through a few of these, Tanner, and we'll just go kind of quick hitting style, gut reaction. Would you sign this or would you sell it and you let somebody else go ahead and take on that deal? Jacob deGrom, the expert predicts that he will get a three-year deal worth $125 million, so about $41.5 million per year. You signing or selling Jacob deGrom at $41.5 per year for three years? I think I'm selling. The health concern is too much for me, and I don't want to give a guy that big of a contract that could be injured a lot, so I'm selling that. I'm selling as well. The other one that is of the top pitching category is Justin Verlander on a two-year deal worth $75 million. Are you signing or selling Verlander at about 37 and a half per year for two years? I think I would sign the Verlander one because I've seen Verlander. He's come off of Tommy John, but he's typically been pretty healthy and durable throughout his career, so... I would sign that one. He's going to win a Cy Young, and he's the best pitcher I saw in person this year. So I would sign Justin Verlander. I'm signing that one as well. I, if it's only a two-year deal and it's less than $40 million, that is something I could actually see the Cardinals maybe being interested in. Now, the question would be, are the are the Astros even going to let him get to market? Because it's, it's totally possible. He likes his life in Houston. He enjoys being an Astro. They're a legitimate contender, obviously, once again next year. There's really no reason for him to leave unless they're just not willing to give him that kind of money. But he's definitely somebody I would be interested in. Sticking with the final guy that I think maybe could make some sense at the front end of the rotation for the Cardinals, 
the expectation for John Heyman, based on the people that he's talked with, for Carlos Rodon, lefty from the Giants, five years, $150 million. You signing or selling five or five years, 150 for Carlos Rodon? I think I'm selling. I don't think I want him on that long term of a deal with that kind of money because I know he's healthy this year, but still injury concerns are going to be a big factor for me. So I'm selling on that one. I'm selling on that one as well. I can't do it's It's the term for me. I don't mind $30 million a year if it's three years. Five years for a guy that has had significant injury issues in his past, that's something I'm just not that interested in. Let's go quickly to the shortstop market because I'm curious your thoughts on these because we've seen numbers all over the spectrum of anywhere from like six to ten years and somewhere between 25 to $35 million for each of these guys depending on who is the one that's projecting it. Carlos Correa, for him, is the top shortstop on the market. He also has him getting the exact same deal as Trey Turner. Both of them getting a nine-year deal worth $275 million. Tanner, are you signing or selling Carlos Correa and or Trey Turner at nine years, $275 million? So I would probably sign the Correa one just because he's young, and that would get him to, if if I'm right, I think that gets him to his age. 36, 37. Yeah, 36, 37. Season Turner's the one that I'm a little skeptical on just because I've mentioned this before. One of his best assets is his speed. How does his speed age? And I know that it's like, well, he can still hit when he's however old he is by the end of that deal. But I think he's just not worth as much if he loses that speed asset. So I think I'm going to sell the Trey Turner one going against what Greg Greg Amzinger said on the morning (laughs) show. I know that's going to draw some hate, but I would sell the Trey Turner one. That's the same way that I would go about it. I I love Trey Turner. If you could get Trey Turner for seven, maybe eight years, I'd be super interested in it. That ninth year, though, is really tough, man. And I think that's probably what's going to ultimately win it. it. This is what we see all the time in free agency where, yeah, I'm comfortable with four years, but they make me go to five. That's the Dexter Fowler situation where you needed to get that extra year of guaranteed money on the books for him to be willing to sign here. I, I think that's what it's going to take for Turner, and I'm not sure I'm willing to do that for a guy that's already going to be in his age 30 season. Uh, I-, I would rather have Correa, who will be more in his prime for longer on that kind of a deal. Xander Bogarts, the projection is eight years two. million. So a little less on the AAV, but again, this is another older player that's going to be, I believe, going into his age 30 season next year as well. Are you signing or selling Bogarts at eight years, 225? I think I'm selling. I I think that's too long for Bogarts. If you can get Bogarts in like a six-year deal, probably five would be ideal, but I don't think he'll take five. If I can get him on a six-year deal, then I'm more likely to jump on that. But eight years just feels like a lot for a guy that we're talking about here in the St. Louis market. That could be your second baseman in year two of the deal. So I'm selling that. I'm with you. I'm not signing that many years. Uh, Six years I'm in, eight years that's just too many for Xander Bogarts. And I love Xander Bogarts. I think if he's willing to settle for a a shorter-term deal, uh, that would be one of the top guys that I'd be interested in. I just don't think it makes sense on that kind of a term. Dansby Swanson is the final one. I don't have to tell you that I'm selling on this one. This is the exact type of thing that I would not want the Cardinals to do in the offseason. Seven years, $175 million dollars. For Dansby Swanson is the projection. Tanner, are you signing or selling Swanson at seven years, one hundred and seventy-five million? Oh, I'm so selling. He is not <laughs> worth that. I, 
if I if if Mo calls, he should hang up when the moment his agent goes seven years. He probably shouldn't even get the dollar figure. He should just hang up the phone. So I'm selling that one. That's just the exact type of thing that I I could see this team doing, and I would say I think it's a mistake. That, like the moment that that deal is signed, I think is he's worth like five to ten million dollars less on a per year basis than what you're getting. So for. what I'm hearing is we've decided that we're out on all the top end guys, and we're here for the bargain bin. We're in on Carlos Correa. Okay, well that was about it. I like Carlos Correa. I like Justin Verlander. Th- those would be the two, and of course they're Maybe both the two the toughest po- guys to get. Astros, but those are the two guys that, based on the money that is being projected, I would definitely be interested in those two guys coming up in about ten minutes or so. What if this is who the Blues are? What does that mean for them long term? And what does it mean for Jordan Cairo as a long term member of this team's future? We'll get into that coming up at one o'clock. The juncture of those coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve it. Checking account today. With Jeremy Rutherford and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We are broadcasting live at the ENB Granite Studio out of the Centene Community Ice Center. Coming up in about five minutes or so, we'll hear from Jeremy Rutherford on what Craig Berube just had to say in his press conference. But right now, let's dive into the junk drawer. Tanner, what do you got for us today? Well, we've had a bunch of cheating scandals involving chess, involving fishing. As the saying goes, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Am I right, Houston? Uh, but uh, I found one in... in Cornhole or bean bags, whatever you want to call it. I found one. You know how ESPN's got the bean bags. I just call it bags. I don't, do you call it bean bags? Oh, oh bags. maybe bags. Bags <laughs> is what I meant to say. I call it cornhole. So see, I don't even know what the hell the other term is. But you know how ESPN has that like American Cornhole League where they you got all those professionals thrown. There was a controversy in that. Apparently, someone was cheating back in August of the 2022 American Cornhole League World Championship. Because one of the guys had too small of a bag, and it would just affected everything. <laughs> size, I could see how that would be problematic. Size actually. was impacting the game, and I mean, yeah, and, and in this scenario, it actually was a fact where size did matter, and yeah. smaller was in fact better. Which I don't know. That's a bold strategy, man. This was in 2020, 2022. This was this past season. Man, it, what what is the? Do you know what the punishment's going to be for this? Like no, if it's an Astro situation, just by virtue of him participating in the in- investigation, I would imagine he gets off scot free. Uh, they had to give back their fifteen thousand dollar cash prize. That's what the punishment was. Oh. Fifteen grand. Oh, yeah, oh, there's one hundred fifty five thousand members of the ACL. Wow. Oh, this is the junk drawer. I could just get back from the Craig Ruby press conference. I thought Tanner was telling a personal story. <laughs> This is the junk drawer. Sorry. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not cheating. I'm a true. I'm a true player, Jr. I don't cheat in anything. Yeah, we we know you are a true player. You're cheating on something, but it is not in a game of bags. I I, I think that it's amazing how these like secondary sports have become mainstream. Like, have you seen pickleball? Yeah. This is becoming like a mainstream thing where there are like leagues. Like Courts LeBron everywhere. James has invested in professional pickleball leagues. I know this is something like Joey Vitale's big into pickleball now, and I 
I would imagine at some point Tanner's probably going to become a big pickleball player because he played tennis in high school and he tells us all about how he's going to go win the um, Olympics. I'm still making I'm still making a comeback in my tennis career. It ain't over yet. Yeah, well, I, I think you should transition. I think it's time to go to pickleball. Wow, man, where's the support? I, I just can't believe all the controversy in these types of sports. It's you unbelievable. Got the fishing one a couple weeks ago. The chess, the anal beats, the, that was a problem. Yeah. Uh, size is a problem, apparently, in bags as well. It it's everywhere. Yeah, I mean, what are, what are, what is happening in America right now? You just can't get away from the cheating scandals. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll dive into a game of one's got to go. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us four options, we will tell you which one's got to go. But next, Craig Berube just spoke to the media. Jeremy Rutherford was there for that press conference. What did he have to say about what went wrong last night? Now that he's seen the tape, we'll hear from Jr. Next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Always took a pride, took a lot of pride in, in just being consistent and winning games. And you no, know, it's not a group that wants moral victories. This is, it's a winning business. Um, you know, we have high expectations as a group and we're not meeting them right now. And, to a man, no one's, you know, feeling like for, sorry for ourselves. It's not a time to get frustrated or come unglued as a group. It's just, you know, you just keep forging on. You have no choice. It's been ugly. The Blues have a six-game losing streak in the regular season for the first time since 2013-2014. That was the last time we saw something like this. And if you look at the power rankings, it's reflecting that. ESPN had the Blues today as a bottom five team in the NHL. The Athletic put them at number 24. And it's hard to argue based on the results so far this year. It's been a bottom 10 team in basically every statistical category. And alongside Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kyle. We're broadcasting live at the E&B Granite Studios at the Centene Community Ice Center, where the Blues earlier today had their morning skate, and Craig Berube was made available afterwards. JR, you were there for his conversation with the media. What's the biggest thing that you gleaned from his conversation after he was able to watch what happened last night in the game once again? Yeah, a couple things, BK, and it's stuff that we've heard in the past, uh, let's say, I don't know, let me put a number on it, six games. (laughs) It's that, uh, you know, they need to be harder. And what he said is we need to be harder mentally, physically. When you give up that goal like you did last night, you can't put your heads down. You heard Doug Armstrong say it the other night that the body language, you know, when something doesn't go right, maybe the Blues uh, don't score on a grade-A chance, and then that body language just feeds the other team is what Doug Armstrong said. So uh, Craig Ruby did say a few things. You know, we talked earlier in the show about the lack of defensive awareness. And I just asked Craig Bruby about that. Sometimes when you see something, you feel like something's going on, you want to hear what he says uh, to kind of confirm that. And so I asked him about that. He said, it's amazing how many times we let a guy from the back of the net who can't score from back there, or if he does, it's going to be the goalie's fault, and we're more focused on him than we are the guy that can score in front of the net. So I think that's an issue that we've seen with a lot of these plays that uh, the Blues are giving up goals. Have you seen a common theme on, like, are, are there specific in your mind defenders that are doing that more often than others? I mean, it it seems like we've seen at least one or two instances of a, each of them falling into that trap. But do, do you feel like there's 
any that are more guilty of it no, than others? No, I think if you're sitting there doing a tally, yeah, maybe one guy leads by a couple. Uh, but but I think for the most part we've seen it with all those top four yep. guys, Pareko, Letty, and, and Krug, and Falk. And, and so then more of the same past six games. He said that uh, we had a lot of good scoring chances last night. They counted eight grade A's, all even strength, that is. And he said uh, we were heavier around the net. And I agree with him there. They were last night. They had guys going to the net. Heck, you had two goals disallowed because guys were basically. the offense in general was better last night. In the net. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know what? We can talk about the effort not being there. Uh, but I think for most of that game last night, the effort was there. It's just that too many times these mistakes are outweighing the effort as we saw last night. And one of the guys that has had quite a few of those mistakes so far this season is Jordan Cairo. And I, I, I want to read something that I found interesting from your article today, JR. Quote, do the Blues have an internal issue with the fact that Kairou was signed to an eight-year, $65 million contract? Yes. There's perhaps some resentment about the 24-year-old receiving a monster deal before he had fully proven himself. His mistake-prone play so far this season may have only exacerbated that. According to multiple team sources, a veteran player on more than one occasion so far this season has addressed Kairou's lackadaisical performance with him, and there's been no significant change yet, end quote. Again, that came from your article. People should read that over on The Athletic. If they haven't subscribed yet, you can get information like that regularly from JR, from Katie Wu, again, over on The Athletic. Yeah, so a couple things here. First of all, uh, we listened to Doug Armstrong when the contract was signed, and he admitted, hey, we'd like to get these done in advance because we don't want to be dealing with this next summer, not knowing what kind of money to maybe re-sign Ryan O'Reilly if you don't have the Cairo deal done. So they wanted to get it done. They knew it would be in the ballpark of Thomas. And did they overpay? Perhaps they did. We'll see how that turns out. Uh, but they got the deal done, right? So now he's got these expectations with the big contract starting next year. The game isn't there. The overall game isn't there. We've seen it, right? We've seen the defensive liability. We saw it last year in the playoffs. We've seen it this year. Uh, you, you have to keep one other thing in mind. This isn't the first time this has happened You know, with the Blues even. It happens every year in the NHL where you got a young player, makes the money, the, the veterans need to talk to him, tell him what's important, the team – comes first that type of thing i watched JR, it. i could read this same exact thing and replace kairu with tarasenko and how many times did we have this exact same contract or the exact same conversation rather over the last seven years yeah you could take it back to david Prime. you could take it back uh, before that so this is not unique this this does happen but as i wrote in the article i've been told multiple times by multiple sources that yes it has been addressed behind closed doors and, and we shouldn't be surprised by this you know i think it's a situation where if the blues veterans the blues captains the blues leaders aren't going to uh, address players in these situations then you know it's not good leadership and we know that the blues uh, for years have had pretty good leadership so yes you know, Kairou has been in spots on the ice where, hey, you're the fastest guy in the league, right? But how come you can't skate 20 feet to get to the guy to get a stick or break up this pass? Craig Bruby has come out and said that even yeah. uh, to the media. So, so yeah, I do think that that's a concern. Uh, at this point now, it's up to Jordan Kairou to take that. You know, are you going to grow for it? You're here for nine more years, right? They're going to pay you handsomely. Tom Stillman, Doug Armstrong, they've all put a lot of faith in you. If this guy who's been in the league for 10 years is telling you what he's seeing, take that to heart here's my question and this has been my question to alex and i'm curious your thoughts on this as well what if this is just who kairu is like what if he ends up being a liability defensively we see these guys littered around the league great goal scores put up numbers every single season you get into the playoffs and you say mm, 
Not sure defensively that's the guy you want to build around, but then you look at the numbers, and you're like, hey, but he was a 30-goal scorer. He put up a point-per-game performance. It's kind of hard to argue with that, and when he was on the ice, I mean, this is probably not going to be the case for Kairou this year, given how terrible of a start he is in a plus-minus, but it was a net positive to have him on your roster. I think Jordan Kairou's ability to generate offense is a good thing. It's something that this team needs. Now, this year to start, this is an outlier performance. It's been really bad so far. But overall, if this is the type of player that he is and this is the type of player that he continues to be, then what? Because I think so far in his career, this is, this is kind of who Jordan Kyrou's been thus far. Yeah, so far he has. Everything's a projection. When you sign these contracts to give a guy you know, this kind of money at 23 years old, it's a projection. And you also, you know, one thing that I'll add here is that uh, you don't know how they're going to handle being paid like that. You know, so the Blues, even though they feel like he's a good player, they don't know how he's going to handle. Does he put the extra work in day in and day out now that he's been paid? But to go back uh, to, to your point is this Jordan Kyrou? It could be. It's hard to judge a guy when he's 24 years old. But I'll say this. You know, I've heard from NHL coaches so many times over the years, if they've shown they can do it before, it's there, right? And so we saw 75 points. We saw 27 goals from Jordan Kyrou. So we know that that offense is there. You know, we could look at his defensive liability issues this year, but if he's sitting on 11 goals right now and, you know, 10 assists, you're still saying, see, this guy's – incredible offensively yeah the defensive shortcoming but we'll take it I I think what the Blues hope for is that when you sign a deal like that you're going to be able to match or come close to that offensive production most years Doug Armstrong I've heard him say it before he's understanding that not every year is going to look exactly alike and that he grows incrementally defensively but when you take a step back defensively and then your offense isn't anywhere close to where it was last year. And not only that, you're getting bumped off the puck. And it's just, it's not a good look right now. But I'll go back to what Doug said the other day is that if I'm going to look at this Jordan Kyrou situation and this contract, it's going to be a roller coaster if I check in on it every two weeks. I can't do that. Like, this is nine years. This is big picture, 30,000 feet, he says. Uh, that's the situation with Jordan Kyrou. What's, what's jarring to me is the zero assists. Zero assists on the season tells his story for the season. He's got three goals. Now, would you like that to be higher? Maybe, but that's an average of one of every, out of every three games. Maybe you want one, maybe two more over the course of the nine-game stretch that he's played so far this year. But that's kind of in line with what his production was a year ago in terms of the rate statistics. His shooting percentage on the year is 10%, which is a little below where he was last year. But it, it's close enough that, again, one more goal probably puts him right in line with what you're expecting. The lack of assists shows the lack of generating offense for others. And I think that's what's concerning. And it, it gets to, I, I think earlier today, you said he, him with Ryan O'Reilly didn't really make sense at the time. And it continues to not make sense now. And I don't think it's going to be where his future is. They've got to find the right line for him. They've got to find the right chemistry with who he's going to be playing with on a night to night basis. And I think that's what over the next week or two, they, they've got to find. They've, they've got to find somebody that can work and generate offense together with Jordan Cairo. Yeah, with Cairo last year, you know, you're mesmerized by the 27 goals, right? And you hear 75 points. That's 48 assists, 48 assists. And now we're through nine games and he doesn't have one assist. It's shocking. And you look at Ryan O'Reilly, one goal, zero assists. If you would have said, okay, the top line starting the season is Ryan O'Reilly and Jordan Cairo, and I know they haven't played together five on five the entire season. They've been switched around a little bit. But if you would have said those two guys after nine games do not have a single assist, that is absolutely mind-boggling. Yeah, and, and you look at, like, you add in 
sawed into that mix because on opening night, he was on that top line as well. He had zero points. Now, I understand he's only played three games, but between Saad, Kairou, and O'Reilly, nine games into the season, the opening night top line, they have zero assists zero. from that trio. Well, there's your story. Like that's, what's gone wrong for the Blues? I the, the defense has to improve. The puck possession needs to get better. They've got to be stronger on pucks. They've got to win some of these board battles that are supposed to be 50-50, and it seems like they're closer to 60-40 in favor of the opposition right now. But that's it. Like That all leads to the zero assists that we're talking absolutely, about. Absolutely, absolutely. And to your point a second ago, you have to be a good passer, and he is when you have his ability because you're going to draw so much attention to yourself. You're going to have so many situations where you can dish it off, and the guy's wide open because you have two defenders coming to you. But here's the problem with, here's, here's the problem with Jordan Cairo right now is he can't carry the puck into he can't carry the puck into the offensive zone and create those types of situations where it's either him making a move and shooting the puck, or it's a dish, a pass. We'll get this mic figured out. Yeah, we'll get this fixed in the break here. But, you know, it, it's got to be a situation where he's got to be able to handle the puck, take it into the offensive zone, and either make the play by himself or use his teammates and set guys up. There's your assist. But when you're fumbling the puck as you're crossing the blue line or, you know, Braden Shen's dropping it back to you and, and you lose the puck and then you pull the guy down and then there's a delayed penalty goal against like there was, was the other night. Just too many things not going his way. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're going to get back to the Cardinals. Earlier today, we talked about the possibility of Alejandro Kirk being their answer at catcher. I know a lot of you guys say, no, 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 no. Don't go that direction. Tanner's in this camp as well. Go get Wilson Contreras. Go sign him to the big money deal. Go give him what he's worthy of being. David Kaplan has covered uh, Wilson Contreras in Chicago for the last seven years. What does he think of him as an answer to the Cardinals catching questions? We'll get to that coming up at 1.30. But 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. And one got to go next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is PK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. In 10 minutes, we're talking to David Kaplan. He's a host up in Chicago. He's seen a lot of Wilson Contreras over the years. Does he think he's the right guy to be the catcher of the future and the present here in St. Louis? We'll talk to Kaplan about that coming up in about 10 minutes or so. But right now, it's time for One's Gotta Go. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. Let's start with this one, JR. One's Gotta Go Long-Term Blues Contracts Edition. Jordan Cairo, Jordan Bennington, Robert Thomas, Colton Pareko. Which one's got to go? Wow. We talked about this earlier. Um, Cairo, Benner, Thomas, Pareko. Yeah, as much as we talked about Cairo and the shortcomings, I think you got to look big picture with that one. Bennington has had a pretty good season this year. I think a lot of the blame goes to the D. I'm going to go with Pareko on this one just because I think that's going to take him into the mid-30s. He's starting an eight-year deal this year. And even though it's a pretty reasonable deal at 6.5 when you compare it to contracts around the league, I think that uh, that's a long contract. (laughs) I think I'm going Pareko as well. And it's kind of what we talked about earlier where I haven't seen 
the progression I thought we were going to see from Colton Preco when he got the deal. So I, I think he's the one. I still think I know Kyrie was getting all the taking all the blame early on here. I still think there's still upside in this deal for Jordan Kyrou. Thomas, I think, is the same way. And Jordan Bennington has rebounded really well from what was a disaster last year. He looks locked in. So I think Pareko's the one that's got to go. I think Pareko's got to go as well. We can go ahead and sweep this. You guys gave all the same reasons that I would. One's got to go hot dog topping edition. Barbecue sauce, caramelized onions, Oh God. Dijon mustard, or ketchup? Which one's got to go as a hot dog topping, JR? Not even close. And I said, oh, gosh, after you said onions, but it's because I was reading ahead here. I saw on the screen that the <laughs> next one was going to be mustard. Mustard for sure has to go. Speaking of which. Ketchup is trash, and it should not be put oh, on anything. Ketchup is the correct answer here for what's got to go. I, I, I sat next to Alex Ferrario in the Blues press box the other night, and he laced up his hot dog with some mustard, and I could smell it from five feet away, and I almost asked him. That's because it. he's a true American hero. Awful. Ah, oh, you guys are so crazy. Ketchup and mustard belong on a hot dog. Fucking the barbecue sauce, it can go on there. But, you know, it's fine. But caramelized onions, get those things the hell out of here. Man, that those are disgusting. Onions are gross. Make your breath smell bad. Get those out of here. <laughs> You're not eating them raw. <laughs> oh, they've still been bad. put on no, a grill. They're gross. Disgusting. Uh, 65780 is comfort service text line. One's got to go Cardinals free agency options. Wilson Contreras, Trey Turner, Carlos Correa, Xander Bogarts. One of these guys would no longer be an option for the Cardinals this offseason based on which one you say has got to go. Tanner, we'll start with you on this one. Which one's got to go? Contreras, Turner, Correa, or Bogarts? I think I'm going to go Xander Bogarts. I think. I Look, I think Contreras is a guy that can fix the catching situation for the Cardinals. I view him as an impact bat. I know some push back against that. Trey Turner's a stud. Carlos is a stud. Look, Bogarts is good, but if I have to have the conversation right now that, hey, in a year he's probably moving over to second base, what's he going to be in a couple of years? And I'm signing him as a shortstop. So I think he's the one that's got to go in this group. I'm going Contreras. I've watched 20 years of good defensive uh, a guy who could lead the staff type catching, and that's Yadier Molina, and that's what I want to continue to watch. Sure, the bat helps, but I don't want to watch a guy who can play 80 or 100 games and he can't have control. Wilson Contreras is the worst defensive player and offensive player on this exactly. list. Exactly. Oh, like, no. Bo- Bogarts? You think he's worse defensively than Bogarts? Yes. Uh, yeah, I do. I, I, think, I think his Bogart's framing and the, money. the arm, those, those are fine. I, I, I think there are serious questions, and I want to get to this with Kaplan on the other side, but I I think it seems like everybody has legitimate questions as to whether or not Contreras for 162 games can lead a pitching staff. And if he's brought in here to St. Louis, that's what he's going to be asked to do. Bogarts is fine. He is not a good defensive shortstop, but I think if you moved him over eventually to second base, he would do more than fine there. I, I would definitely be getting rid of Contreras in this scenario. One's got to go Thanksgiving side edition. Stuffing, mashed potatoes, green bean casserole, or deviled eggs. Deviled eggs are trash. They're disgusting. I understand that everybody seems to love them. They are gross. Deviled eggs got to go. I think you're being way too kind about deviled eggs. <laughs> They're worse than everything you just said. Oh, I'm with you guys. Get the deviled eggs out of here. Look, I'm not that big a fan of green bean casserole, but deviled eggs belong on my breakfast plate and not even there so get them out of here 
I think it's funny because, you know, you're, you're a guy with an appetite like I am here, right? And and so a lot of family members will say, hey, there's some deviled eggs in there. You know, grab some. I'm like, yeah, I know they're there. Do, <laughs> I'm do, aware. Yeah, do you know that if I did like them, they'd be gone? But I don't <laughs> like them, and that's why there's 17 of them left. Final one here. One's got to go post-workout recovery drink flavor edition. That's a that's mouthful. A All of them. Chocolate, cake batter, vanilla, or fruit punch? Chocolate, cake batter, vanilla, or fruit punch? JR, which one's got to go? Going me first here. Uh, I'm going to go cake batter. And I'm saying that because I don't know what it is. <laughs> no, I, I know uh, cake batter, but is this going to be some sort of... You know, like, uh, Isn't it it's like got... vanilla just with like sprinkles. Isn't that's that what I'm saying. Sprinkles, yeah. No, that's not working. Just like uh, you go get a protein bar. Not that I eat a lot of them, but uh, you get a protein bar and it's like wedding cake, right? It's gonna have the sprinkle. No, give me the vanilla, the chocolate, the cookie dough, whatever. I, I think I agree with Jr. Vanilla chocolate, they belong there. Fruit punch. Fruit punch is good. Not sure how much I truly want that in a post-workout thing, but like I'm actually working out. Uh, and then the cake batter one. Get the cake batter one out of here. I. It's literally vanilla with sprinkles. I don't need the sprinkles. I'm good. Cake batter's got to go. Get rid of fruit punch, man. Fruit punch as a post-workout recovery drink. That sounds disgusting. I I am all out on that. I'll I'll find a way to get down the cake batter. I I want nothing to do with a protein shake made out of fruit punch flavor. I'm, I'm good on that. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll wrap a bow on the conversation about the blues for today. If this is who the Blues are long term, then what? What what is the next route for them? We'll get into that with JR coming up at 145. But next, David Kaplan, one of my favorite guests. He's from Chicago. He's watched a whole heck of a lot of Wilson Contreras. What's he think about him as an everyday catcher for the Cardinals? Talk to Cap about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We are broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studio out of the Centene Community Ice Center. And right now, we're going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Earlier today, we talked to the Toronto Blue Jays beat writer about whether or not an Alejandro Kirk trade could make sense for the Cardinals as they try to find their catcher of the future. And now we're talking to David Kaplan of Cap and J-Hood. You can hear him weekdays from 7 to 10 on ESPN 1000 up in Chicago. He's watched a lot of Wilson Contreras over the years, and that's what we want to focus our conversation on with Cap today. Cap, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing up in Chicago? Jeremy, Brandon, and Tanner, it is great to be on with you. All is good. Dodging a few raindrops, but all is well. So let's talk a little bit about Wilson Contreras. Let's start big picture. What are your thoughts on Wilson Contreras as an everyday catcher, Cap? I love him. I'm a huge Wilson Contreras guy. Now, I'll be honest with you, he's intense. He plays with an edge. He's passionate about what he does. Uh, He's not – he's more of a brick in the face than, you know, like a – box of puff tissues he's this guy's gonna get after it now and he's gonna play like his hair's on fire and that's what i love about him and then i've gotten to know him as a person and absolutely love the guy i know clint hurdle when he managed the pirates didn't like baez and Contreras because the way they played and 
the, all the passion and all of it, and that's fine. Not everybody. That's why they make different flavors of ice cream. But I'll tell you a quick story. Wilson and I got sideways several years ago when the Cubs traded Aloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease and two other prospects for Jose Quintana. I blasted the trade. And I was broadcasting for the team. Blasted the trade. And I said, you paid for a Amadi, and you just picked up a 2017 Regal. It'll get you. The Buick will get you to the mall, but nobody turns their head and goes, whoa. And I said, and that's what you paid for, and you got hoodwinked. And I remember Theo Epstein calling me going, dude, do you know what his contract is? I said, well, the next time the pages of the contract walk out to the mounted pitch, let me know. And so that's just who I am. I'm going to tell you what I think. I don't get personal, but I just am going to be me. And so I'm calling him the Buick every time he struggled with us. I, I, I'm trying to tweet at Contreras about something, and it says, blocked. You are blocked from following Wilson Contreras on Twitter. I'm like, what? So I show up at the ballpark. I walk in the locker room. It's me. Wilson Contreras has his back to me, and Brandon Morrow is rehabbing from his 19th stint on the injured list. Everyone else in the media is in the press room with Joe Madden, who's speaking. And I walk up, I go, excuse me, Wilson? He's like, yeah, what's that? What do you want? And I said, you blocked me on Twitter? What are we, in high school? And he said, dude, you're killing my guy, and it's affecting his confidence. And I said, if your guy can't handle being criticized by a guy who's an analyst, that's my job, then we're already sunk. And so we go back at it. We're, I mean, it, it, we're going at it. 30 minutes later, we're still having this conversation, and he says, all right, I got you. I get it. I understand. And he hugs me, and he unblocks me on Twitter. And so we, that was, we, we were fine. I would interview him. I'd see him. But we weren't tight by any means. 2021 summer, All-Star break is coming up in a week, and he started, he's been in three All-Star games over the last four years. 21 was the one year he didn't make the All-Star team. My phone rings. I don't have his number. I answer the phone, and he's like, hey, Cap, this is Wilson Contreras. I'm like, oh, God, who do I offend now? <laughs> and he said, do you have a special needs son? I said, I do. Well, I, want, I have four boys. My youngest, Brett, is a humongous baseball fan, and he's special needs. He said, am I his favorite player? Actually, yes, you are. He said, well, I'm going to be right near where you live. I know where you live. And my parents are coming in from Venezuela. They're going to cook an authentic Venezuelan dinner. Why don't you come? Bring your son, Brett. He can hang out with me. But you're coming as my friend, not a media guy. So we're not talking anything about, you know, media. I said, are you kidding? Done. We go there. As soon as we walk in, Wilson's with his dog. He's like, I got to go take the dog out. Brett, come on with me. To me, Cap, you can't come. And it's Brett and Wilson for 30 minutes. They're hanging out in the backyard playing catch with the dog. Brett, he said, Brett, ask me any question you want. Now they've walked back in the house. And Brett goes, why does our team stink? Yeah, because Brett has no filter. <laughs> and Wilson laughs, looks at me, goes, that's a good question. And so we end up having this amazing three-hour night with Wilson Contreras, who reaches in his bag, goes, Brett. And Brett was wearing a Cubs City Connect Contreras jersey. 
He signs that. He goes, I brought you a game-used one. He signs that. He has a bat for him. He signs that. And we stay tight. And he would text me, hey, how's Brett doing? And then this summer, we were at a game September 17th, Cubs-Rockies. And after the game, Wilson sees us in the stands. Hey, come here. What are you doing now? Uh, We're just going to go get something to eat and go home. He's like, meet me at this Cuban restaurant. Let's have dinner together. We go to dinner. He saves the seat next to him outside for Brett. We're there for two hours. They take pictures. That guy has my heart forever. And so anyone that is critical of Wilson Contreras, he's an all-star level player. He plays with passion. He's got the best arm in Major League Baseball. Is he the greatest framer of pitches? No, probably not. But when they go to a robo-strike zone, I don't think it's going to matter. And I would sign that guy in a second. So, Cap, why wouldn't? And we're talking to David Kaplan of ESPN 1000 up in Chicago. Why are the Chicago Cubs potentially going to allow this guy to walk, in your opinion? What is their explanation for it? Um, I think that he ruffled some feathers in that clubhouse with his fiery play, seeing that he didn't get an extension. None of them really did other than Kyle Hendricks. And, you know, this thing was at the mountaintop. We won the World Series. Think about the run. You eliminate the freaking St. Louis Cardinals at Wrigley. And then the next year, you sign away John Lackey, and you win the World Series in the most epic way possible. You haven't won in 108 years. You win a game seven after a rain delay, after you blow a 5-1 to one lead, and you come back and win it. Then you get to the NLCS for the third straight year, and then all of a sudden, Rizzo, Baez, Bryant, they're all gone. Wilson's the only guy standing. And I think he's, again, he's intense. It's like when Bob Knight was coaching Indiana. I, I'm a Bob Knight guy. Not all of my boys could have played for Bobby Knight. You've got to know who you're getting. Who, what are you going into? Can you handle playing for him? My oldest son, Nick, could. My son, Garrett, played college football. He couldn't have handled a guy treating him like that. So that's Wilson. Wilson's intense. You gotta understand who he is. Cap, when we talk about the Cardinals offseason, we keep talking about, you know, they've got to go find that impact bat. You look at teams like the Phillies, they've got three legit guys in that lineup and Bryce Harper, JT Rilamuto, and you got Kyle Schwarber there as well. Is Contreras a guy that can come in here and kill two birds for one stone, fill that catcher spot, and be that impact bat that the Cardinals are looking for and be that guy with Goldie and Arenado? Yes. And he can be the Cubs, in, if you go back to 16, they used him not a lot. Occasionally in left field, he could do that. He has played a handful of times at first. He could back up Goldie. He DHs to keep his legs fresh. So you got the DH. Why couldn't you use him some DH and make him your other catcher? Have two good catchers, him being one of them, and then use him as a DH and just lay the ground rules. That here's what we need from you. I think the best is yet to come. I do. So, Cap, as a Chicago guy, as a Wilson Contreras fan, if he ends up as a Cardinal, (laughs) what would it be like for you if he ends up here in St. Louis? I'll puke. Because do you think it's realistic? Yeah, I do. A hundred percent, absolutely, I do. I know that that he and Yachty have spoken during the season about that possibility because Yachty was retiring. 
Look, Yachty's a Hall of Famer. He's a great, great player. But that job's open now. I think Wilson Contreras would be a phenomenal fit in there. And again, I would tell him, here's the level of expectation. If you're going to sign a four or five year deal for whatever the amount of money is, it's insane. This is what we need from you. Can you do that? If you can't do that, then this isn't the place for you. But look, I despise more than any team in sports, the St. Louis Cardinals. I also have the utmost respect for how they do their business. You got 11 rings. You've got an amazing fan base. You got a great ballpark. I'm a Cubs guy. I'm a Cubs fan. That's how I grew up. So I hate the Cardinals. I hate the Packers. And you can keep Notre Dame football, too. Those are my three. But the Cardinals are at the top of the list for me because every time we played them, we were the crappy Chicago Cubs. And we would, oh, wow, it's the eighth inning. We've actually got a one-run lead on the Cardinals. This would be amazing. And then whoever it was would lay a bunt down, hit behind a runner, come up with a sack fly, and they'd beat us because that's what the Cardinals do. They play the right way. I think you need more talent. I would sign Wilson Contreras. Final question that I've got for you, Kaplan. If there is a criticism that I have heard both locally and nationally about Contreras, I think the defense thing is overblown. Like, if you're an average framer, whatever, he's got a great arm. His defense is is solid, even if people don't think it's spectacular. The one thing that I have heard, though, from people even locally in Chicago is – hey, you know, when it comes to the game planning stuff, maybe that's why he wasn't traded at the deadline because other teams were concerned about him being able to catch on to their game plan and being their everyday catcher. How reasonable do you think that is as a criticism of what Wilson Contreras has been so far as a catcher? Well, I think that, you know, it's a small fraternity and people talk and, you know, people that I trust in the game have said to me, it's very difficult to bring a guy in as your number one catcher at the deadline and then, hey, man, we're in a pennant race. We can't screw up here. He's got to learn the pitchers, and, you know, he knows the league. You play the same teams. It's not that. But he doesn't know, you know, what your number two starter, what what's the best pitch in this situation. And so if you have any questions about his framing or – Boy, that guy's really intense. I don't know. How's that going to go over? That's why I don't think you saw a trade go down. Plus, the Cubs try to kill everybody in their deals, and good for them. They stole the number one prospect out of the Mets for three months of Javi Baez, who now plays for Detroit. Uh, And it's now our number one prospect, Pete Crow Armstrong. So Jed wasn't giving him away. Good for Jed. That's smart baseball. And so I think that combination with who Willie is as a player, and the position that he played. I think if Wilson had been, you know, a third baseman or a left fielder or a center field, he gets traded because he's a catcher and there's more into it than just catching the ball, throwing the ball, and hitting the ball. That's why he didn't get moved. You're John Mosellock, Cap. You give him a five-year, $100 million deal and say, hey, you're our catcher for the next five years? Yes, 100%. He's David Kaplan. Find him on a weekday, 7 to 10 a.m. up in Chicago, ESPN 1000. He's the ghost of Cap and Jay Hood. Cap, we appreciate the time as always, man. All the best to you and the family, and hopefully we'll talk with you again soon. Best of luck. Go Billikens. <laughs> That's David Kaplan here on 101 ESPN. All right, let's react to that really quickly. On the other side, we'll talk to the uh, about the Blues with JR. Tanner, you are of the two of us. 
the bigger guy on Wilson Contreras. I like the idea. I think Alejandro Kirk would probably be my number one option at catcher. Listen, I, I see the text line right now. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. A- everybody's excited because how could you not be excited about Wilson Contreras after hearing that interview with Kaplan? Did that get you more excited about the uh, opportunity to sign a player like Wilson Contreras? Yeah, and I think the biggest question for me was because the impact bat, is he going to be that guy? Can he kill the two birds with one stone? And hearing Cap say, you know, some of this stuff may be overblown with him, the defense thing overblown, pitch framing, and I've thought of this too, who truly cares because Robo-Ums are going to be here in like two years, if that. So, and him saying what I thought of, can he be that guy that when I look at a lineup in the postseason, Goldie, Arnato, who's the third bat, can it be Contreras? And he said, yes, yeah, I got me more excited about it. And if, if he's have, had conversations with Yadier Molina, it seems to signal that Yadi seems to think that he could be the guy that fills his shoes to take on that role. Yeah, I think I'm more excited about the idea of Wilson Contreras coming in because I do think that he can become a difference maker for this team, and I like him better on the deal that we were just talking about. I mean, you said five years, $100 million. I would sign that in a heartbeat, too. I, I think he's the kind of guy that you bring in in the offseason. And again, he's not just hey, we signed Wilson Contreras, we're done, it's a success. No, he may be the leading guy in the offseason, but you also got to surround him with also complimentary pieces as well. I, I, I really like Wilson Contreras, and somebody from the 314 says, after all of that, BK is still going to have something negative to say about Wilson Contreras. Uh, my opinion on Contreras and signing him has very little to do with Contreras and more to do with what it prevents you from doing. I'm all in on the shortstop market. I want one of those three guys. And if you sign Contreras, I think it very likely takes you out of that market entirely. That being said, like if you're somebody that believes that Wilson Contreras, like Tanner, can be that third big bat, I completely understand why you would go that route. For me, I would prefer a trade for Alejandro Kirk getting, let's say it's Carlos Correa in this scenario, and then maybe loading up on a couple of relievers that you think will be really good for you. That would be my preferred plan. If you can't or won't land one of those shortstops or the Cardinals just decide, hey, we're not doing that 8-10 to year deal, I totally get why they would go the route of Wilson Contreras. Tanner, really quickly before we get out of here, Wilson Contreras, let's call it Andrew Benintendi, and that's basically the offseason other than a couple of lower-level reliever deals. How would you feel about that offseason? I would probably say that that's a A-minus offseason. Because I still think that they should be, I think they should still consider spending on these shortstop if they get Contreras. If payroll is truly going up, I don't think they be, will. Because that's payroll $50 million for each of the next five years. I don't think that would happen. I get it, but if the payroll is going up, I think it's time that you actually do the let's spend crazy, stupid money. And I understand, well, they can go get some bullpen arms, they can add complimentary pieces. I want to see an offseason where it's, hey, we made two big moves and that's the offseason, and then we can piece it all together at the back end. And like, if that means I got to go and sign the shortstop and it's, I don't know, Bogarts for 30 mil, and then you got Contreras 20 mil per year, and that's the $50 million, then you know what? I would be happier with that. That's the A plus offseason, and then I'll run it back with the outfield. I'll figure out the bullpen when we get to the deadline, pitching the same way. But I would say if it's Contreras, Ben and a couple of bullpen arms, I would say that's probably an A minus in my mind. We'll hit the rewind coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. any 
anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. You can also, it's all presented by Dobbs Hire and Auto Centers. Later on today, if you missed our football picks for the weekend, you'll be able to find those on Twitter and on the Facebook page at 101ESPN. With Jeremy Rutherford and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. JR, we appreciate you as always for coming in today. Is there any, if you had to wrap a bow on where the Blues stand today in 30 to 60 seconds, what would you say to Blues fans that hopefully makes them feel better going into the weekend? Yeah, first of all, thanks for letting me slide in and out of here today and do my day job and go interview Craig Bruby <laughs> and get that part of it done. But uh, it was fun to be with you and Tanner today and talk Blues. And to put a bow on it, you know, I think it's a situation – uh, like Craig Bruby said today, and we talked about it a few segments ago, is they just have to be tougher, and, and they're they're not right now. And whatever issue, whether it's inside the locker room, whether it's on the ice, whether it's fragile, whether it's whatever it is, they've got to figure it out because it's too early in the season for all this stuff to be happening. And I've covered seasons like this. It's been a while. But they are long, long hockey seasons if they can't put this together. On the plus side, there is no game this weekend, so there is no chance for the Blues to let one go once again. So we'll talk on Monday about what they have. It's a tough test going up against the Boston Bruins. Alex will be back in with us on Monday for Jeremy Rutherford and Tanner Hendrickson, who did a fantastic job in studio for us today. I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll talk to you guys on Monday at 11 a.m. Have a great weekend. The Fast Lane's coming up next. <laughs> You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home-trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.